0: people. And when I get nervous, I walk. And usually I speak too quickly. So if you, don't understand it, you can understand anything, just keep it to yourself and pretend you did. I'd be very, very careful who you talk to you about
1: that. Because the person who wrote that is dangerous. Have you seen that? I have not. Okay. Yeah. I I'm glad you left it because yeah, I've watched Yeah, you need to see it. Okay. I sing for Bad Brains sometimes. Oh, do you really? Yeah, the last three gigs they did, I do the fast stuff. HR does the slow to... uh to medium so he does the reggae stuff and okay. then some of like the meme stuff, but I sing all the fast old punk rock stuff. No they idea. come out That's and awesome. do that. Yeah, there's some shit online.
0: Super cool. <laughs>
1: yeah, they're my favorite band. You're, you're talking about your favorite band. Bad brains are my favorite band of all time.
0: And they asked me if I want to sing one of them. I'm like,
2: oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it <Brain> explodes <laughs> everywhere.
0: <laughs> and so that was our introduction to uh today's uh conversation here in the Dissect podcast studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, we uh, well, Maya's here. She's uh, she's <laughs> snoozing on the floor. <laughs> no, <geez. laughs> she just put her head down or something. Yeah, uh, Keegan Dillon, obviously chimed in. Michael is here, and uh, D Randall Bly. Oh, yes, here I am. It's nice to be here. It's. Uh, I'll, I'll. I just got to. I'll start. Um, with. That was fucking incredible last night. Thank you. Thank you um, for coming out, man. It's <laughs> nice to actually communicate with you in the flesh. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, yeah. it. I, we could actually maybe sort of start the conversation because I was um, trying to figure out exactly how we can like. I so I, I found your stuff first um, because I was following Nikki Six right. Um, realized, Laika. okay, Nikki's a like an ambassador. And, right. And then I'd see like, yeah, who, who does Nikki, you know, follow or who comments or who, right. you know, And, um, uh, found, um, found your stuff. And then I found reference to the unbuilt zine. Right. And we were in the point of like having just kind of decided that we were going to do that. And so I over the race. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, and then, and I think the actual, Real Connection was over something, and I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I posted something about the young gods or I commented about the young gods or... Yeah, I do a radio like
1: show that. for Gimme Radio, The Power Remains, which is like the the punk rock show on Gimme Radio, as it were, but I stretch the definition of punk rock to whatever. As, as long know. as you have the attitude, it's yeah, punk. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> You had commented on, I think, the Young Gods via an Instagram. I think it was an Instagram, 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 Instagram thing, yeah, or something. And I was like, "Oh my god!" Almost, you know, not a lot of people know about this band now. And then I looked at your profile and I was like, "Oh shit!" This guy shoots Leica, and so that immediately—it's um, good shorthand. He, yes. right there. Like, that's it. That's it. it Music, it's very short. cameras, boom. Yeah, and then I didn't really know anything about you or your climbing career or Jim Jones or anything. And I started researching, and I was like, I need to know this freak. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I, I mean that in the highest, highest sense and, of a, and of a compliment. And I
0: take it in that
1: vein. yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'm like, but, this is like some weirdo punk rock. Climber, trainer, like, didn't you, weren't you like competitive shooting for a while? I, like, I did. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's like you're hard to kind of. Um, I interviewed you for my radio show yesterday. You were the first non musical de- guest. And I was like trying to sort of explain who you are and what you do. And I'm kind of stumbling as we're talking. And oh. I'm like, oh, and you're a writer, which also I respect. So there's music, photography, writing. Uh, and you you know you do the the fitness thing um, which uh, I maintain my health pretty well because uh, i I perform and I surf a lot, so yeah. you know, um I was like we we start communicating, and I was like, okay, this guy, you know he's sort of on the same wave wavelength, bizarre wavelength, you know, which
0: is great, a lot of different interests. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah, and and I just uh, when the first copies of the zine came of of the Unbuilt, it's like, oh man, they've got, they've gone a lot deeper than I think we're able to go. <laughs> 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 and uh, well, the the design of Unbuilt, our our the head
1: guy who kind of started as Tom Bogrowitz. He's a long term graphic designer, and um, I, from my understanding, you guys or kind of figuring it out yourself, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> or
3: <laughs> failing to figure Girl, it I out? No, no, it's clean. Kind You're... of could be. You could use a stronger word there, which is we are trying to figure it out, right? Well, one hundred percent. No, but, <laughs> no, but it, it looks clean, and the design is
1: is uh, effective you know so i was pretty impressed when i saw the first one our guy tom that's what he does for a living yeah. you know from oh we we Mar- scoured dad oh, yeah. so we looked
0: through like okay what's this they use at the, it the uh, okay
1: dude i'll tell you his d- his mind is a design mind and space and he sees all these things to yeah. the point where the first issue <clears throat> he doesn't think like a writer right he, me, and Alex Skolnick from Testament, it's me, Alex, and Tom Begroet. Um Alex is a Testament's guitar player, also a renowned jazz guitar player, and he and I bonded over books and movies, uh, no, nerdery, nerdery. You know, yeah. not like metal stuff, but uh, outside nerdery. Um, but he, Alex is a writer as well, Tom writes, but he thinks with a designer in mind. So he's like, okay, you guys each have these features. And I'm like, how long do they need? You know, what's what's our character? I mean, what's our word limit? Yeah. He's like, okay, for each of you, for the two page, you can have 2,221 characters. I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah. Right, because nobody writes by like letter <laughs> yeah. count. You know, and he, right. he was like, to and with spaces, you have this very precise. And I actually wrote for the first issue by like, by character limit. And I, I contacted Tom afterwards and me and Alex would, I'm like, dude, no magazine ever has been put together by character limit. <laughs> we don't work this way. And he's like, okay. Very begrudgingly, because he's like math and design. And because it he is. Says, like, it. because yeah. if
3: he has yeah. a word count, the word count doesn't describe an actual distance right but a, a, an actual character count yeah. oh yes
1: he he included spaces and uh, punctuation and and like <laughs> and i'm like you're allowed four ways to it, punctuate exactly like,
0: and <laughs> it, it made me a little crazy and then we worked it out so. <laughs> <laughs> that's we um some guys at ross is you know ross has a good design sense but also um he's got some very good uh <clears throat> people working in his office and so the the first issue of Rays, i think it, we went through 13 iterations mm-hmm um you know oh before man. we before we went to because we just kept you know because we had no idea right you know and and then there was some things that would overlap uh, you know on top of each other or just uh, or simple stuff like inconsistencies and and that okay if you you can't okay before you can you know break the rule that one time so that it's super effective right you need to follow the rules 99 fucking times yes, you know absolutely which we're just like I know that's a rule, but I'm just going to break it, and then it was all over the place. You know, just right. and and sort of the the hanging orphan words and and things and that and uh it and, and we and it only went through five. I think we went through we went to print with the five the fifth one on the yeah. on, on, on issue number two. So it's it's getting better, but they you know they look at our stuff in the comments and and uh and that that interaction has been really helpful. Yeah. Um But you know, looking at Unbuilt, I'm like, wow, this is. It's another level. This is designed as fuck. Well, yeah, well,
1: we're lucky because that's what our dude Tom does. It's like, poof, okay, here's the stuff. Make it look good. Although I did have to uh, argue with him a bit. The first uh, issue, some of the images are cropped. Like mm-hmm. like for a piece I did, a surfing piece, and he's yeah. like making them all fit together, and it looks cool and stuff. But
0: as a photographer,
1: that makes me insane. Well, sure. Right? Well, and we
0: actually looked at that sort of yeah. mosaic page yeah. where all the I- images are together because the 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 couple of times that we have tried to do that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's so it it's it's hard to not make it look like a you know, junior high school home ec project. Right. Like a yearbook (laughs)
3: yearbook collage or something.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. He has a, you know, a sense of balance. Yeah. Yeah. But
3: it's like a, it's like a meta view because I I would agree with you. Like I can look at a picture and know immediately whether it works or not, or, you know, adjust it on that level. But as soon as you start putting them together as in like an overview of what they should look like together, I'm kind of like, I got to move the pieces around in a weird way until something looks appropriate. And 99% of the time, it looks pretty terrible. Yeah. So it is a different skill set for sure. Yeah. One I do not possess. (laughs) It's one that we hope to possess one day. Yeah. Eventually.
1: You you guys are more motivated than me. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll keep practicing on that one. Although I know you're working on a project. I don't know if you've talked about it, but you're doing some of that stuff that kind of stuff
0: yeah I mean we have mentioned re- Refuge I've, it was going to be out you know a year ago and then right, five right, months right, ago right. and now it's supposed to be out right now and That's, and the proofs are still you know sitting there and I'm you know, now my hair is long enough I can actually grab some to pull it out when <laughs> I'm right. <I get> frustrated. <laughs> you know? but, is that why you grew it up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to like, so I like, could
3: tear
4: it
0: out. Your, your neurotic handle you right. need it, you know? <laughs> so like pull me away from the computer.
4: So. Yeah. That's, or push yourself into it. Yeah.
0: that. Don't need hair for that. <laughs>
4: I, I've been,
1: because I, I used to do fanzines, you know. Um, in the late 80s and early 90s, and I I would agonize over layout. But this was cut and paste, Mm. go to Kinko's, and uh, know all the scams on how to rip off copies. I don't (laughs) know if you ever remember that. In the fanzine world in the 80s, everybody had a different way to make... More. Yes. (laughs) You know? And I definitely uh, had a few of them. They used to have these big blue keys that you would stick into the machine. Oh, yeah. And it would have a counter... It turns out if you drilled a hole at a certain point, then it would just, you could steal a key, put it in there, tick, 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 and copy forever. So that's how we did it. But uh, <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, about that FBI file. And man. yeah. And then there were all sorts of weird things back then, like a black box. Did you know about those for cell phones? Mm-mm. This was all in the punk rock underground. Like touring bands you could get this crystal at Radio Shack and install it in some sort of weird plastic box, which you could hold up to a payphone and hit it. And it would emit this tone, which emulated a quarter going in. So you could be like, beep, 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 beep. So when we were touring, if you had one of those, you could use them on payphones because nobody had cell phones.
0: Yeah.
3: But
1: that's off topic. Anyway, You're uh, you're,
3: you're, you're speaking as to the riches that were involved in music. <laughs> yeah, but
1: but having some familiar with the layout process, at least the actual cut and paste, not digital cut and paste. For kids who are listening to this who don't understand what cut and paste means, it means cutting something out and pasting it with glue onto a, a layout page. Um, I've wanted to, you know, maybe do some small run photo books myself. Nothing on the scope of what you're doing, um, and even
0: just thinking about it is giving me anxiety. So (laughs) (laughs) I was actually, you just said photo book and, you know, with all the skills and, you know, uh, we're learning (laughs) and me starting to answer when people ask what I do. And I'm just like, I'm a publisher. I've gone beyond that. We started a publishing company. I'm I'm just calling myself a publisher now, Michael. Is that nice. okay? Yeah. I'm yeah. That. So, uh, I got a great idea for a book. <laughs> <laughs> See, There we go. Yeah. Let's throw in the hooks out. Because we had a, we, you know, we've had a couple of conversations with different agents mm-hmm. and yeah. publishers and that kind of thing. And it's like, God damn, I got a... I I want to work with people who get it already. Mm. Yeah. As opposed to trying to educate someone or having them educate me about, you know, oh, if you want to really sell this, you need to put some, cooking recipes or some workouts in <laughs> like this book or something. a 30-day
3: ab workout. 30 days? Yeah. 30 That's all it takes? That's all I'm going to give you. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have abs in 30 days, yeah. you're... Well, yeah. because there's a second book. We right? already 30 r- days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got a plan for the future. You got to, you know, you can do a 12-part a series. Yeah, it's called the 401k ab plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My 401k, your abs. <laughs> 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 that, that that would work. I was
0: when you were, Mike. You just mentioned sort of the the uh, the, the richness of <laughs> the, the of the uh, of the music business or whatever. And and uh, um, I recently it's probably it's three months ago now or something. I was, I was listening to one of the, the uh, Joe Rogan podcasts that he did with uh, Billy Corgan, mm-hmm. and when Corgan goes off about the music business, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my god, <laughs> this is. Um,
3: this just sounds horrible.
1: Yeah, it's...
3: It's as fucked as it sounds, it's right?
1: Unbe- oh, God, it's unbelievable. Um, I'm actually looking up something right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs>
0: just, it, the, the idea, you know, some some of the things were like when he was talking about CD imprints and mm-hmm. so, things like that and like renegotiating the contracts because of oh, yeah, my, changes in technology. And yes, stuff, my and band, like our contract...
1: I think it was written before. We we missed some sort of little wiggle thing with getting paid for this amount of streams. And like the streaming services are... Are, uh, they're, they keep on saying we're slowly going to make it more equitable to musicians. We're going to make it fair eventually, right? But there was a,
3: Who was that that posted their check from Pandora? They had like 40 million plays, and they had a check for like 13 cents. For,
1: for <laughs> this, Peter Frampton, for 55 million streams, 55 million streams of Baby, I Love Your Way. Ooh, baby, I love you way. Classic, classic song. I got $1,700. I went to Washington with ASCAP last year to talk to lawmakers about this. Their jaws dropped, and they asked me to repeat that for them. So 55 million streams, $1,700.
4: So like one one one-thousandth of a penny per stream or something?
1: Yeah, and in 2017... in 2017 so, the music industry generated 43 billion dollars musicians get 12 percent of that and it mostly comes from touring i am a glorified black t-shirt salesman
0: so when i <laughs>
1: that's it so when that's I, where all those
0: t-shirts come from yeah, absolutely black <laughs> so when i when
1: i go on tour we get paid and we're we've at a point now where we can bring home money from guarantees I mean, we've been around 23 years, Mm -hmm. and like this tour we're on with Slayer, we're main support for Slayer. I'll bring home a check from just our guarantees, right? But the vast majority of money that I make and any musician makes comes from black t-shirts. That's it, it's merchandising, you know? And so if you don't go out and tour, you aren't gonna get paid. You know, you can't just write a magnificent album, release it, and then sit at home and collect
3: royalties. So we've talked, I mean, this subject comes up often because it seems like this is a triangulation problem. Like this is somebody propping up an actual artist, but just peeling money off the top while the actual art is not being reimbursed or supported appropriately.
1: Well, the streaming services are paying labels a lot of money. Sure. But none of that is, like, not much of that is going back to the artist. Sure. And it's not totally
0: transparent. No. What is. I mean, (laughs) we keep on
1: getting these, you know, I keep on getting asked to do this. My management, and I really don't give a fuck if this pisses anyone off or not, but my management will be like, hey, will you do this? Um Promotional spot for Spotify, like, hey, this is Randy from Lamb of God, and you can hear our new single, The Duke, on yeah. Spotify. And I'm like, sure, when they send me money, I'll do it. You know, that when they that send sounds... me a fucking check, they
0: are I'll getting do it. money. That sounds reasonable. They're getting Just to money. Be clear, Spotify like is a, getting money. Yeah, this They're isn't right.
3: like a greedy thing. This is a somebody is making money based off of somebody else, and that somebody else is not making any money off it. Of, Yeah, the triangulation, it's it's a propped
1: up system. My band is at a point, the way it works with us is when we make a record, we get uh, an advance from the record label Mm -hmm. to make this record. And somehow, after since 2004, somehow my band has not been thrown off a major label. We're on Epic Records. I have zero idea of how that happened because we're not exactly – Burning the charts up, you know, and they like yeah. to, to see returns. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but we're a bit too caustic for uh, top forty or, or whatever. But when we make a record label, <laughs> team we, up with Taylor Swift. Yeah, when we <laughs> make we make a record, we get an advance, yeah. and then we make the record, and then put most of that advance in our pocket. You know, because you can. I mean, it's the eighties are over you know you aren't gonna spend millions of dollars making a record right. because you know there's not gonna be hookers and and cocaine and, and everything and limousines and all that shit that stuff's done we take that and bankroll that and then you owe the record label that money right. which is paid in record sales so but each record sale suppose i borrow i'm gonna make a record and i borrow a hundred bucks from mark Twite records Okay. that's my advance.
4: It's got a good ring to it. Yeah. Mark Twight.
1: Yeah. He's going to go broke as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, okay, Randy, here's a hundred bucks and you're going to recoup this advance out of your record sales. So if you think you give me a hundred bucks and I sell each record, records are on sale for a dollar. All I got to do is sell a hundred records. No, uh, the recoupment out of each record sold that go the, the amount that goes towards our recoupment is like half a percent. So it's like oh, half Jesus. a penny for each record sold. So it's like this weird- Oh, wow, you're on the hook for a
0: long fucking yeah, time. Yeah,
1: it's like this weird <laughs> system of being in debt. Right, yeah. Like that it's very-
0: But unable to pay off the principal because so little of the sales actually go towards that. Yes, and, and there's th- they're trying to count. How much interest am I charging you on the 100 None. <laughs> well, that's I, nice of me. Y- yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. Because the, the longer, you know, if I was, I guess I'd be a bank then, right? Or, yeah. Or just a loan shark. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then there's also with the younger bands, I feel really bad
1: for them. There are these things called 360 deals where oh, I've, the, I've heard of. the record label will give you an advance and this is for recording and in their recoupment it's not they're not just going to recoup off of record sales now because nobody buys records anymore right they're going to take a percentage of your touring there's going to take a percentage of your merchandise and so it's just like boom 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 like yeah. eating away at your your income and I would never, ever, ever sign a deal like that. But when young, younger bands talk to people at record companies and they promise them the world or whatever, they, you know? Easy, yeah. I don't know why labels exist anymore, honestly.
3: I was just about to ask, like this seems um, like a band in this day and age could be fairly autonomous.
1: Yes. Now, there are the wonders of, of technology mm-hmm. where um, I can make a record... Here in this room, mm-hmm. you know, with a laptop and some uh, using some of these very mics we're talking into. I own several of them, uh, and I can record it and I can edit it here at Mark Twight Industries or whatever. And then <laughs> this i is can, the it's, we're, it's we're, getting we're, better. Again. We're in yeah. the non- I'm building your empire, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So, so we're actually it,
0: sitting here in the nonprofit event. Yeah. Center. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm trying to help. Yeah, I know. uh, Let's let's have vision. Okay, let's Um, have vision. All right, industries.
1: We can we can do all this stuff here, and it's not going to cost me a lot, right? Because you're my bro. Yeah, Uh, and I can put that out, and I can put it on the interweb, and that's great. You know, I can do that at a a minimal sort of cost. But guess what? Everybody else can too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So record labels, I think now act more as giant PR firms mm-hmm. because they have juice with, you know, I would say, it's, see, this is why it's confusing. They have juice with retailers, but nobody really buys records right. anymore. It's all connections,
3: Yeah, you know? And in, in the colloquial radio host that might play your album on over like a FM radio station, it seems like that's more or less how they promote the sales of your album. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, sure, and... I mean, but this in sounds my band, a lot in my like band book it's book like, publishing, which has been a big shift in the past like 10 years where, yeah. like, you can even ask, Hey, what do you do as a book publisher? And no one can really answer you because they don't do much. Like, if you now want to bargain a book deal, generally they're like, Well, what's your followership? Because it's all based on, mm-hmm. you know, social credit that you have on one of these platforms. Yeah. Um, and the, the general marquee is like, hey, if you have 250,000 followers, we can do a book deal. It yeah. doesn't matter what you actually produce. Like, If you have followership, that means that's your that's your way to sell. Right. And there's a very weird distinction there where it's like, wait, why am I using you to use my own audience then? like, right. What exactly are you doing? And it's like, well, we're here to publish it. Like, We know the guy who prints or we know uh, some secret thing, but no one wants to actually talk about the fact that these people have propped up jobs that aren't required,
1: right? And you know, the major publishing houses are slowly merging anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know that my publishing house merged with another one from the, the guys who put out my book, DeCapo. They Perseus De Capo is now part of. I can't remember what the other one is. There's only like five major houses, mm-hmm. but it, the same thing in the music industry. Like, but that is heads are rolling. There, Like when we first started, there was still a fair amount of money working for in working for a record label mm-hmm. to the point where like I would meet people who would come out to shows, you know, and they're like, they work for our record label, and they're like, we're here to come and say hello, we're at the show, show that the record label cares about you. I'm like, okay, cool, what do you do? I'm the lifestyle rep for Romania. I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? You know what I mean? Like, who cares, (laughs) you know? And like, those people are gone. That sounds like a good gig though. Yeah, Yeah. those people are, are gone. And in the publishing world, I know the editors now, uh, in so many different ways are just much more in charge of acquisition than mm. actual editing. They, they're having to wear uh, multiple hats. multiple hats, you know, because everything's compressing, compressing, compressing mm. as the revenue streams disappear. So, so th-
0: and Michael, that's why you need to have like, they're only willing to do the deal if you have 250,000 followers, because that means that um, they can sell 250 books. Because that's the number 10, of people who actually read. One percent. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, speaking
3: <laughs> of speaking of like uh, a very small margin, you and correct me if I'm wrong on the genre, but it, I would classify it as a neo American metal bands. That's a uh, it's a hot topic for discussion. They
1: call they call us and a few other bands the new wave of American heavy metal. Okay, right? so uh, oh yeah, yeah, I was. So off that was some term. Uh, A journalist made up sure to describe my band. Uh, At a certain time, there were a bunch of us who mostly came out of the punk rock and hardcore Mm -hmm. sort of world, playing DIY spaces. Us bands like us, Killswitch Engage, Mm -hmm. Shadows Fall, Unearth. Um, God forbid, from New Jersey. We all played a bunch of shows together, and it
0: Knocked in to the th- No, they're like uh, black metal. Yeah, like black, yeah know, that's black,
1: that's okay. black metal. So that's American black metal. Yeah, that's American but black. Okay, at that at that point in time, <laughs> they like they kind of uh, someone came up with a term like, "What's going on with all these." young bands Mm -hmm. you know and they're they're the new wave of american
3: heavy metal obviously a nod to the new wave of british heavy metal darwin should have like thrown the finches to the side just waited a a couple decades and started to study the evolution of and the uh genus of of metal bands because how it dispersed is phenomenal like if you do like some music art history and watch the branches for like slash metal you know Norwegian black metal. It, it is fundamentally baffling to see how many different genres, and they all kind of fit that. Like they do, they are a trope of some sort, right? Yes. Um, but being a metal band in itself, <laughs> you're a successful metal band. Yes. Which is so fucking rare. Like that. Yeah. That in itself is just like I. Uh, how? Like what? What makes you guys so successful?
1: Mm, uh, I think it's because we uh are too stupid to quit and, and, we, and we used to uh drink with our fans a lot you know uh I don't know man I mean there's um music is cyclical what is popular comes and goes you know um and within the lifetime of my band certainly uh metal has gone up and gone down um i'm not really sure other than just touring so much and kind
0: of remaining just what we are Mm -hmm. you know i I think the touring thing is so big just to to, to actual genuine interaction you know in a way with with fans yeah with other people as opposed to and you know we we were talking a little bit earlier about the you know the Recording with a cell phone or God forbid the iPad—that's the first time I actually heard of somebody. <laughs> no, it it an exists iP- an iPad up at a show, but um, it, and, and, and obviously that, that there's a little bit of technology in between the experience that you know, yeah. one is having, you know, or, or can have it at the show, but but I. Th- the things that I have appreciated the most in the recent past and part of it is living close to a small venue. When, when, when bands, you know, not every band is going to play there obviously cause it's too small, but the, um, but to be able to go there and to like hang out afterwards, like it's not a fight to get backstage cause backstage is, uh, you know, right there. Right. <laughs> like they, they can't get away <laughs> right. and they got to, you know, come out and sell the merch and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, um, and, and for me that just makes the the music itself more um it I have this the memory of an experience that it, uh influences the what I hear in the music the, right you, you know, now. Just
3: in it like an emotive quality yeah um, yeah the I would say that metal for me was like an experiential draw like if I Heard it, and I came from like some hardcore punk rock background, yeah that was experiential as well like I, I was never into the groovy ghoulies because they sounded so fucking good. It was like I went and saw a show and saw how uh like the emotional quality of that mm-hmm. and then how into it everybody was, and then I was into it because everybody was into it, not because you know it was a peer pressure thing, it was just like you could feel it, it's different, and I would never probably listen to like black metal or something like that if there wasn't the experiential draw to it. But I went and saw like a black metal show and was like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. you know, you could watch a monomarth and you're like, it's a performance. Like yeah. it is absolutely like art incarnate. In it, in it. And it's so different that you have to be interested in it or you have to hate it. Like it's very, mm-hmm. you know, the dichotomy is very like harsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no line of demarcation where you can be like, Oh, I kind of like Viking metal. You're like, no, you're either like <laughs> I fucking love Odin yeah. and everything about it or those guys are fucking freaks. Here's a yeah. rune of my my name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I designed it myself. I, yeah. I, that that for me like the emotional thing is is what um captures it and that's something that you can't spread over the internet necessarily. Right. Yeah, I think um
1: YouTube Has is starting to shape the musical culture in a lot of ways because of of people's experiencing this stuff through uh, through these little screens. You know, I know for instance, in Japan, the first time we went to Japan, um, we played at this festival called Loud Park, and the Japanese, there wasn't a lot of moshing going on. And after you finished a song, there would be this (laughs) (laughs) dead silence, dead silence. We're talking in this venue, there's 15,000 people. (laughs) And you're like, what the fuck? And
3: people say say Canadians are polite. and And
1: they're watching you very intently. Fast forward a few years, due to YouTube and them looking at this stuff you go there now the shows are a lot wilder there's okay. a lot more moshing and they it's kind of shaped the musical culture there and it's I think it's shaped the musical culture in general, in some ways for the better, in some ways for the worse. Like I think this videoing everything and the connectivity of the internet has killed the regional music scene. Mm-hmm. The scene that we grew up with right. where you're from the Northwest, we were talking about the Wipers yesterday and how they influenced that. In my area, it was a lot of really smart instrumental bands. In DC, there was Discord and Bad Brains. Mm-hmm. and. New Orleans has its own <laughs> punk, weird, metal hybrid. Everything uh, in, informed and influenced itself mm-hmm. in that way. Yes. You know what I mean?
0: On a, on a more local level. On it's a like local a, on a level.
3: Microcosm, which is a, why it's such a good analogy for evolution, because it, it literally takes that shape. Like you, you create an environment, and the environment influences the next species and genre, right. which influences, and it becomes its own thing. Right. But that is out the window Blonde, now
1: in music. Yeah. So, uh, because everybody, uh, it's even changed the way kids play. Like, there's mm-hmm. kids now, like 11 year old kids who shred oh, I guitars. Like, yeah. unbelievably. They, I, they send me all the time, like, the. Tag me on Instagram. Look at this like eight year old girl destroying your song. And I'm like, that's great. That's very impressive. Can she write a tune? Because they have this tool where they can look at YouTube and they can look at your guitar player and they can study every single finger yeah. movement. And they can and, press stop and, and pause and, and they back learn and technical stuff and at, at a advanced level you know, but the songwriting is not there <laughs> a lot yeah. of the times, you know? And so... <laughs> a lot of the time. You mean it, yeah, you know,
0: really a lot of the time? <laughs> yeah, it, it's
1: just, it, it it boggles my mind, you know? Um, so it's weird, this whole, like, the, the way technology is shaping the musical culture is happening so rapidly and... Everything is happening so quickly now. You can't keep up. It's, you know, it's fascinating. Like w- when I watch, uh, I'll go. And, and the you. emotional attachment is not there in a YouTube video. That's originally what I was trying to get to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's a, um, I mean, when I... Go there, go to YouTube often to, you know, it's late at night and mm-hmm. I'm, you know, watch some music videos or whatever. And and it's ge- generally I'm trying, I'm time traveling. I'm going back in time because yeah, sure I see some cool shit. And to see, you know, what, my favorite UFO clip, right. you know, from, of rock bottom when, in the, during the Schenker guitar solo and the, his guitar strap breaks, but he's got a flying V so he can just fucking mm, pin wear it, on it on like a a, yeah, yeah. And, and keep going as if nothing happened. I mean, it's. And Phil, you know, Pete Way was amazing, and Phil Mock. Like, I see those things, and there's an, and it's, it reminds me of, you know, I, I have an, I can have an emotional experience with that particular clip or some others, because, you know, the, the, one of the best shows when I was a kid was, you know, British Lions, UFO, Blue or Cult. Mm-hmm. For me, UFO blew everybody else out of the water. Yeah. Um, but so, so I can refer to having had the emotional experience, but if I was just like, but, and sometimes I want to see a, you know, okay, what's this band that I really like the sound of in the studio? Should I go see them live? Yeah. You know, and then I might get a um, a hint of that from a current YouTube video or something right. like that. But, but that's, um, but it does, it, it feels, well, it's a, you know, you're having a secondary or tertiary experience, no matter what, because mm-hmm. the sound is. You know, not going to be great unless it's no somebody you know plugged into the mixing board or whatever. But it um, or you know, and this was. Uh, I know that Ian is going to see Killing Joke, mm. and I was just like, Ian, I don't think I can do it, man. You haven't seen them recently? Not recently, no. Uh, I we played with them
1: in the UK at a festival. I don't know, maybe maybe seven or eight years ago and hung out with them, and they were awesome
0: live. Okay.
4: They were awesome live. Is, is that what you'd be afraid of, is that they
0: wouldn't be awesome live? Or? We've yeah. talked about We were
4: talking about yeah. this. Yeah. Just uh, that they would obviously
0: sound different than in a recording studio. <coughs> no, 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 not, not even that. No, that this, this would be more, older. more the, oh, like, right, 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 right. so I want to say. They've lost their passion. Or 83, their, yeah. and it probably was that. Uh, what's this for tour. So it would post after the second album, they, they shut down a um, venue in Seattle and uh, the last show it played there ever. And I, I'm, I, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I will take your, I take your word for it. I mean, Ian said, I got a spare ticket. I'm like, fuck, it's in the middle of that fucking bike. That sta- oh, stage oh. race where's the venue? What, it's it, a venue it's in LA someplace is it a club I don't know what the I, it probably, it'll probably be a relatively small place i right, guess yeah. then I would and, go see it yeah. I mean, if they're playing at the Normo
1: Dorm Festival with a million other bands maybe yeah. not so much yeah. Yeah. yeah but they were really tight and really good when we played with them in England like five or six years ago and I had a lovely talk with them and with jazz he's a very interesting person yeah know? interesting people (laughs) seems like um
0: well there's a lot of different i guess activities or artistic disciplines uh with some really interesting people yeah um,
3: (laughs) But music's one of those things where you can't like i I think (laughs) what you've kind of mentioned um it's one of those things you can't fake like you can have oh, you this. can fake it. <laughs> you can't, but not for the experiential
1: of it, right? Like, you mean as a as a, an audience member, or as, a, it as a
3: band? Like, as a band that's like, let's say, you know, I don't pick. I don't want to pick one that's really all that. But we'll, we always pick on Journey, so <laughs> like, where there just seems to be like, okay, we're doing this. Obviously, it might be fun, but it might just be the best way to make money, and therefore. Right. There's no like, there's no artistry in it after a bit. Now, and I experienced this with the Damned because I really wanted to see the Damned, and they've been doing it I don't know, twenty five years or I mean way longer, way longer longer. since (laughs) seventies, okay, yeah, yeah, seventy five or six, yeah. And so I wanted to see them, you know, just because they were so influential, and they were also playing with Tiger Army, which is another one of my favorite bands. Mm -hmm. And so Tiger Army opened. And I left after the second song. It was just like, oh, they are so not into this. Which me like, no matter how much I like their music, you could just tell, like, yeah, uh, it's over. Like, yeah. This is just a, you know, a T-shirt sales uh, thing yeah. for them. Um, it, I'm wondering... But that, but that's not them faking it. That's them already
0: fucking having done it. Okay, so yeah, maybe... done it <laughs> first and hard. And for a really and, long time. Yeah.
3: And not in it for the same reasons as maybe why you started. And that's one of the, like... When you're when you it seems like when they're done with music you're like you're for sure done. Or right. you need something exciting or whatever. I mean not everybody goes out like Big Black, and, you know,
0: we're, okay, after uh, this record, song we're, we're, about fucking, we're where done. They, they and, announced
1: their breakup before they released their final album. Yeah. They're um, like, we're quitting. We're making this awesome record. We'll tour on
0: it. Adios. Exactly. You know, I always thought that was amazing. Boy, it's yeah. fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the foresight, and then to have the discipline. Like, there was no shiny thing that lured them back or no. whatever. It was just like, nope, we did it. We had, this was you know, we had the totality of the the possible experience with this mm-hmm. thing,
3: and then see, and that that might be a different thing too, because that, that's another thing. I think maybe all art follows that spectrum where it's you know there's an ebb and flow to it, and sometimes you're not as motivated, and sometimes you are. Mm-hmm. But as, at least in the live performances, it seems like you have to be so in. There's so much energy that goes into, it, especially in a metal show. Yeah, like, I, I was, was training. <laughs> I, I was like
0: impressed last night I was, I was telling selena like he's getting around pretty good for a 47 year old she's like holy shit yeah yeah
1: <laughs> i feel it you know sure uh but it's also like with me i have always kind of thought when i have reached a point cuz everybody has bad shows. Sure. Everybody has a bad show where you're just like, "Oh my god, I just don't want to do this mm-hmm. today." And you go out and you you put the business face on and you handle your business. Um I have always thought that when I reach a point where I'm like out there starting to fake it or something like or or my heart isn't If I don't get that wham from it, you know, consistently, then I'm going to stop because I can't fake the funk. You know what I mean? I can't do it. Like, I can't stand still. The funk is a living creature. (laughs) (laughs) I can't stand still when we play. Like, if I have to, like, I have a torn meniscus and a sprained uh, MCL right now. And I'm trying to find time in my schedule to get an operation. Mm -hmm. Um, and the doctor, I got an MRI on it in between because I tore it skateboarding in Toronto last leg. We had like 27 days off. I went and got an MRI. He's like, "Well, you we can schedule this, and you're not going to be able to really move for X amount of time." And and I'm like, "Ah, oh, that won't do because I got to go on tour." And he's yeah. like, "Well, no jumping, rapid, and <laughs> Just all, this. all the pictures." <laughs> and and take- like, you know, I was like, "Okay, do not jump, do not, and try and stay still, try and." I can't. I was going to say it looked impossible. I can't, like. dude. I feel like if I stand still, and I do stand in one space for you know, if I for 2 or 3 seconds, if I stay longer than that, I feel like I'm like feels like hours to me. I feel like I'm not moving. The move I'm not moving with the music, you know? Um and if I reach a
3: point where it's not doing that for me, then I'm just going to be like I stop. So do you think uh, like a counterbalance to how how much energy goes into music is kind of a nice juxtaposition for what photography has done for you? Because it is about being still. It is about being kind of patient, about waiting.
1: Yeah, photography for me, uh, writing lyrics and music and then prose writing Mm. are very subjective experiences for me. I am trying to convey... My belief or a point I want to make—it's coming from within me. I'm not like a, a clinical textbook writer or something. It's very subjective, right. you know. I'm conveying my viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Photography, I would like to say, is completely objective, but of course, no form of art is. Right. But it's a lot more objective than anything else mm-hmm. I do. It slows me down, and it makes me go out and pay attention to the world
0: around me and it gets me out of my head mm-hmm. you so know? It, we should um, we should explore this because uh, you know I once again marveled um, yet again today when you reminded me that yeah i started shooting pictures six years ago yeah uh, and to me that uh, like because of the quality of the work and obviously there's I mean, somebody had told me um, recently is like, yeah, your pictures are amazing, but what really is amazing is that, you know, the camera is a x-ray machine pointed back at the photographer. Yeah. And so like, I look at your pictures and I, I get a better sense of who you are. I do the same thing. I, the pictures to me,
1: I never, I got into photography initially entirely accidentally because I had this idea that I was going to unplug from the internet completely for a year, no cell phones, no computers. Uh, and that you was- You would die. That no. Sounds, that
0: actually sounds you amazing. Would, yeah, you it sounds, and no, I'm going like to do it. Being in outer space where there's no oxygen, yeah. man. So, so like,
1: <laughs> I, I was talking to people, I'm like, I'm so fucking sick of the cell phone and this constant connectivity. And that would have been in 2012, the beginning of 2012 when I started Oh, the thinking, end of the world started thinking about this right <laughs> one of those years and uh and uh, talking about this idea of unplugging from the internet it actually pissed some people off like my bass player he's like he got agitated about it. he's like you can't fucking do that you can't not have a cell phone and i'm like yes i can all of us didn't have cell phones before we <laughs> toured like without, to my house you know whenever you
3: get there we'll we go had
1: illegal here. devices to like to use, use the pay, pay phone. phones yeah. you know that's how we had maps <laughs> You know, we can yeah. do it, you know, come on, man. So people were just like not, a lot of people were not having it. Come on, a Ludd- really, Luddite
0: with me. Yeah, that really
1: made me determined to, because I'm not a Luddite. I love a lot of the technology, but I think we're far too dependent on it. So that made me really determined uh, to, to unplug for a year. So I was sitting, I was in Australia, and I was a plane, and I was sitting. I was going to unplug for a year and write a book about it right? And we're sitting on a plane next to Jamie Joss, the singer from Hatebreed, and we're flying in Australia. And I'm explaining the whole deal to him. And at the end, he just looks at me, and he goes, okay, here's how we're going to do the movie. He totally like
3: <laughs> nice. rejects
1: the idea of a book. And he's like, you got to make a documentary. I'm like, okay. Um, and I would use computers during this, just not the internet. Like I'd use it to record music and right, edit okay. photos and stuff or whatever. So he's like, Okay, we'll make a documentary. So I asked this documentarian I knew, what is a. Because we were in the process of making this documentary about our fans called As the Palaces Burn. It was supposed to be about our fans because we had some DVDs already about the band. I asked this guy, Don Argett, who's a friend of mine, I'm like, what's a decent camera that I can just start doing some interviews and be real footage with and he said get a Canon 60D it's like a prosumer model Mm -hmm. so I'm like cool that won't break the bank I went out and got it and I started interviewing some people um, uh, educators some pro skateboarders about the way the internet has changed their careers and stuff Mm -hmm. and I was just filming a lot of skateboarding so I was getting ready to go film some skateboarding one day and I looked at my coffee pot my French press sitting on my stove, and I it had a domed lid. And I saw my reflection, and I'm like, "That's trippy." Let me try and use this camera for what it's meant for. Meant for, yeah. And I put it on dummy <laughs> mode, fully automatic, and I psh, took a picture and looked at it. And I'm like, "I'm a genius," <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm <laughs> Ansel Adams all of a sudden. Of course, it's an entirely mediocre photo, but like, uh, I immediately became obsessed with it, and that's when I started shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. A few months after that, I wound up going to prison in the Czech Republic. And uh, I had to not unplug from the internet <laughs> because once I got out of prison, I had to maintain email contact with lawyers overseas yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that idea of the documentary um, went to the wayside for the time being. But my shooting stayed, and that was since and Twelve, that's a six years ago, right? Yeah. Or in twenty eighteen. Yeah. I don't know what day of the week it is, but I do yep. know what year, what year so, it is. What <laughs> year it is. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> that's General Salt month. Lake City two thousand eighteen. Yeah. From there, it just I'm just shooting, 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 shooting. I'm also a sober guy now, you know. I have been for
0: almost eight years
1: and that keeps me out of trouble on tour.
0: Yeah. Um, and I get to And gives you some extra horsepower to go like Look around, yeah, and, and I and see I, some of the places. And that I you, get
1: to meet cool people like you guys, you know. <laughs> Can I and, ask
4: about the Czech Republic prison? Yes. and why you were there? Uh,
1: it's. Um, it <laughs> There's I wrote a book, wrote a book <laughs> about it okay. called Dark Days. Now uh, I feel like an asshole. Uh, no, it's <laughs> all right. And um, I we played a show in 2010 yep. in Prague, and it was a hot, sweaty, messy show. No security. After the show, we hung around till about, I don't know, 1 a.m., and then we left. And then we didn't go to the Czech Republic for another two years. No big deal, you know? So we book a show in the Czech Republic. We played in Norway the day before, this beautiful festival. We fly from Norway to Prague. We land in Prague. And I'm stoked, because now I'm a photographer, and I remembered Prague was beautiful, so I'm gonna go shoot photos. And I walk off the plane, the end of the runway, and there's um, about, Seven or eight dudes, about your size, uh, but very Slavic and short hair. And some of them had on, like, face masks with eye holes, like, you know. shit. Machine guns, big pointy knives, uh, three plainclothes detectives, and a woman investigator, and they had taken our passports. They said, here, this is for you. And I was charged with manslaughter involving the death of a fan at the concert two years previously. He had somehow either jumped or been or been pushed or been bumped from the stage, fallen, hit his head, died a month later. And oh, we never knew anything about it. And the Czech government contacted the American government and said, hey, we wanna investigate this incident. And we hear that this guy, Randy, pushed this kid from stage. And will you cooperate? And the American government was like, no, this is ludicrous. But they never let us know. Right. <laughs> Otherwise I would have handled it. Yep. You know? Um, so we showed back up and I went to prison for 37 days, 123 year old prison called Pancrats, until I got bailed out on half a million dollars, uh, which we borrowed from some generous <laughs> friends of ours. And I went back to the States and went on tour to try and raise some money. And then I got called back to trial and I went back and went to trial and was found not guilty. And that's, that's why I was in prison in the Czech Republic. No it's a very, shit. very sad, sad situation, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah. <laughs>
3: what, what was going through your head for 37 days? Uh, I mean, I can read the book, and we can find it, but because uh, <laughs> I imagine
1: we—that's a to... rather broad question. When you're in prison yeah. and in the foreign country, everything, everything. <laughs> generally, somewhere. generally, yeah. it was just like stay in the moment, stay mm-hmm. cognizant of the fact um, of what you have rather than what you don't have. Mm-hmm. Realize that you are, in fact, physically okay right now. You know, like you have a roof yes it sucks you have food it's atrocious 123 year old yeah 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 Yeah, yes it sucks the food is unbelievably atrocious and uh, not many people speak English and it's it's really fucking weird but you are physically okay at this moment you know so I just tried to stay in the moment and also to do what I could to stay in physical shape a lot of sit-ups push-ups um lifting chairs, like the one I'm sitting on, we had to, lifting those. Uh, a lot of writing mm. and some meditating and reading when I eventually got some English books. Just tried to keep from cracking up, you know?
3: And you went back. Yeah. Like, you essentially didn't have to though. No,
1: right? I would have never been extradited. They never would have extradited me. But So why did I go
3: back? Yeah. Because. I mean, because of the risk. I'm not saying that like, yeah, just because you you never know how countries like that... Yes. ...are going to rule on something, or they're very yes. finicky... They want you to give
1: me five to ten, no time off or
3: sure Or the anyway. interpretation of the law is different. Yes. Like, it's not... Well,
1: it's a different law. It's right. an entirely different judicial system. Mm-hmm. Like, 100% different than right. ours. Um, it was actually... I forget how far back their legal system goes, but it needs updating badly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, very badly. Also, they were a communist country up until 1989 right. when the Velvet Revolution occurred, and they're still mm. adjusting. Yeah. You know? Um, but why did I go back? Because there was a fan of my band who was dead. No one, including myself, knew exactly what had happened. Mm. The young man's parents never attacked me. They never came at me in the press. They never said, fuck this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, They just wanted to know what had happened to their son. And ethically, also I'm a sober guy, right? Mm -hmm. And I was sober while I was in prison. I was sober when I was arrested, but I was towards the end of my drinking when that had happened, the Mm -hmm. incident. And I, luckily I had a journal from that day and I knew I hadn't drank that day. Otherwise I would have to go there and say, I don't know what happened. Maybe I did something, maybe I didn't, you know. But I knew I was sober that day because I had a journal from that day. Um. So for me, I knew that I had not intentionally tried to harm anyone. I know there was no security that day mm-hmm. as like, stipulated within our contract, there were kids all over the stage that whole night, which is dangerous. And it was a Mm -hmm. stage about the size of this table (laughs) with equipment everywhere. Um, I knew that I hadn't done anything purposely to harm Mm -hmm. this young man, Uh, but his parents, I felt, deserved answers. And I needed to go there And hear everyone's testimony, hear what everybody said. And if something came up, even though I was sure of my innocence, if something came up during the trial that made me see that, yes, you had intentionally harmed this young man, because he died. It's Mm -hmm. not like I went there and got a parking ticket. We're talking about a dead person. As a as a person with i like to think a fairly well calibrated moral compass if i held responsibility for that through some intentional action of my own through my fault i needed to be held accountable for that so for me going back there yes it's scary yes i might go to prison yes blah 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 it felt like the right thing to do
3: do do you think that like obviously that heart of an experience influenced your ability to maintain sobriety? Like, did that, because no. you were already s- no. sober, but
1: okay. No, uh, I, I think a lot of my friends were um, were scared that when I went to prison, because I was about a year and a half sober when I went to prison, mm. that I would get fucked up as a result of this. And instead, I was exceedingly grateful to be sober mm-hmm. during that, because had I not been sober, I, I mean, and I knew where to get drugs in the prison. I knew who the sure. drug dealers were within the first week. You know, um, and you could get what you wanted. Maybe not a bottle of whiskey, but I mean, you could, you could get some hooch. You was, could it get,
3: Reiki? was it Reiki? Was that what is it? Rocky? Reiki?
1: You can, you could, you could get, uh, you could get drugs. Sure. <laughs> sure. You know, and I, I, and drugs that I liked because I did a lot of drugs too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I was absolutely had no desire to drink, and I don't or do drugs. I don't judge anybody that drinks or does drugs or mm-hmm. anything like that because I did it for twenty two years. You know, um, it did make me just much more cognizant of the fact of how awesome it is for me personally to be a sober guy, Mm -hmm. because I was a fucking miserable mess before I got sober at the end, Hmm. you know? It was, I don't know. It was an interesting experience. It's not one I recommend.
3: (laughs) Have you been back since? No. Okay.
1: No, Uh,
0: I... Yeah, are uh, you guys welcome to play a show there
3: again?
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was a top news story in the Czech Republic for a while, like yeah. the top, you know. Um and like if we went back, it would be a huge news story. Right. Like I'm not banned from any country anywhere or anything like that. Um if we went back it would be a big news story and I have too much respect for the family of the young man. To bring that back up and to bring the yeah. cause them any more pain, you know. And if Wow. If they were to reach out and say, look, will you come in and, and do this? Because, you know, you never know what will happen. Uh-huh. You know, if they were to reach out in order for some closure stuff, I would say, yes, we'll do a, a show and donate the proceeds to whatever charity you want or mm-hmm. whatever. But other than that, I really have no business going to Prague uh, with my band and – Being a news story and causing these people harm because they
0: didn't do anything wrong yeah Yeah. wow um something that we had spoken about a little bit before i mean and and i i I imagine that i mean actually i know from the you know the the book like the first that uncertainty you know there's a certain there's a fair amount of fear fear Massive at, amounts had, of fear, it, bro. <laughs> Are you crazy? And, and like like a slow drip IV kind of twenty four seven type of fear. Just yeah. creeping insidious Yeah. Which is utterly different than that adrenaline That fear that, you know, we had briefly, you know, talked about um like cute- you know, when you're surfing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's 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 a, a few different types of fear, you know. Well, there's many different types of fear. Oh yes, <laughs> fear is a motherfucker, as you know. But it also can be a tool, as you well know. Yeah. Um, and like keeps the, you sharp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> present. But the fear, <laughs> you know, I felt I felt surfing before, like. Having a 10-foot a, a shark surface mm. in the middle of me and my buddies in one particular incident where we were surfing this river mouth in Carolina where there's a lot of bull sharks bull shark. who will hammer anything mm. and just seeing that dorsal fin rise <laughs> from me to you. No shit. Like rise and keep rising mm-hmm. and keep rising. That's a very primal, primordial fear, the fear of, oh, shit, this thing might eat me. Mm. that's like nothing I've ever felt.
3: Even worse, it's not going to eat me. It's going to taste me, think I'm disgusted. And, then, the, so, and then I'm going to bleed gonna out. Bleed and, out <laughs>
1: you know? So the way I reacted to that, like it was weird. My, my nervous system, my brain, whatever it did, I was very calm. Mm. And I've been run out of the water by sharks a couple of times, turn around, And just calmly paddling because they don't like it when you splash, it agitates them. Get to shore, no problem. Breathing normal. Then get on shore and you're like, oh fuck. Oh fuck. (laughs) The dump. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it. You know? And my buddy who I was surfing with that day, this particular he's a Hawaiian guy, you know. He got we all got on shore and we're like, (gasps) he's like shh there's a kid right over here. There's a kid with his parent. And he's like, you don't want to scare this child permanently over the ocean. So he walked over he's like, Hey, there's a big shark out there. Don't put your kid in the water right now. Whispering to him. I was like, wow, you got a lot of self-control, dude. (laughs) Because I'm like going, (gasps) just like the foresight,
3: like the, to, to like this, this panned out as well as it could have. Yeah. And if we fuck that up now by, Making this kid's experience like it just the influence that people don't realize that they have to be cognizant of that is yeah, fucking yeah he astounding.
1: Was, he was like, I mean, he grew up is my buddy, David, who's basically been my primary surfing instructor or whatever, not really instructor, just bro, who's taught me a lot, you know, but he grew up doing this, and he's always cognizant of stuff like that, and it's I was like, like, like a true
3: waterman, absolutely,
1: a hundred percent, so there's that. You know, there's, there's that fear. And then like, I think I was texting you about, you, you know, you are such a climber. I think you're out of your fucking mind, right? Like I'm, <laughs> like I'm terrified
0: of that kind of like, like that's not my realm, you know? And the, as you've heard on the podcast previously, Moving water, yeah, yeah not my not, realm yeah. like the shark surface right there. Yeah. I'm gonna shit my intestines. Yeah, and just yeah. I'm still yeah. trying to figure out how you get back in the water and keep surfing.
1: Oh well, that day we just went down. About, well, it was, it's we kind of made ourselves get back in the yeah, water that yeah. day. But that spot, we call the shark the landlord. You know, the landlord showed up. <laughs> and he came to collect rent and it's too high for us to pay. Yeah, yeah. And they said, we're going to jet. <laughs> and we're like, okay, this is your spot. And we just went about two miles down the beach. And yeah, I made myself get yep. back in the water that day because it's like, if I don't, this could go up here into the head and it could start churning. And it could build its own house. It could build its own house. Uh-huh, and, yeah. and fear is a motherfucker like that. True. You know?
3: But, but it's funny how, like, so... Fear of sharks in the ocean Uh is most normally an irrational fear. Absolutely. As in occurrence-wise, statistically, it is not a normal fear, especially given, like, how much people fear it. Sure. Um, That being said, when a shark – a dorsal fin – and I've had a bunch of, you know, dolphin encounters where Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, fuck, and I didn't see the back fin. But I see a dorsal fin, and it doesn't fucking matter. Like, it all looks like sharks. To – when you're fear based or whatever, but for that to immediately become a rational fear and then to overwrite that is a very strange mechanism. It's almost like, it's like falling off a bike and getting back up immediately before the scab forms and hurts to ride a bike. You get back on and, and replace it with a positive experience. So therefore you don't associate surfing with a negative experience.
1: Right. Well, surfing does so much for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, mentally physically and spiritually that i I just that's why i'm nervous about my knee hurricane season is coming i don't have time for any operation right now the waves are going to be good i can't have that taken Mm -hmm. from me like i like right now in my life i especially by the landlord i mean yeah (laughs) like i can't have that dude i gotta get back on the horse you know so with the climbing thing i'm not afraid of heights you know okay uh but I have I think I was telling you about this, I used to be a roofer. And my guitar player Mark was a roofer, who's terrified heights. He's a much better roofer than I ever was, but he did it every day. He got up there and somehow compartmentalized that fear and said, Okay, this is my job. Okay. I'm going to get on this roof. Yeah. And I I never had any problems except for one time I was on this copper roof with a with a torch where I was Welding the seams of a, or soldering the seams of a copper roof. And the roof was probably about four foot long and two and a half feet wide. And all of a sudden I was up there, no problem. And I froze. And I was interested in asking you about this because you're a climber. I froze, completely froze. And I started sweating. And I was, it's three, two and a half, three stories up with this ladder. And I had to call my boss, Noel, who's, big dude and i'm like no 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 and he could hear in my voice immediately something yeah. had happened yeah and i don't know why it happened but the fear switch got triggered and he came up and got me down and it was just i was paralyzed naked terror like like i cannot move it took him a half an hour to get me off like just slowly moving my foot and down that ladder you've done some insane ascents I guess you have to just learn to fight that down. Have you ever felt
0: that coming on? Like, ne- never, um, a paralyzing, yeah, to to, to to that extent. But I but I did learn early on when I started climbing because I'd kind of faked my way into it by telling some friends that I had, mm-hmm. um, and because that you know nobody wants to take the new guy, so right. you got to pretend you're not the new guy. In order to go. Right. <laughs> right. That, and. Uh, um, I ain't no FNG. Ex- ex- exactly. And, and I had done, you know, I knew the, the, the mechanics of the movement itself, et cetera. And I'd been, you know, one pitch off the ground. So, you know, somewhere between over 100 feet, mm-hmm. but less than 150. Um, and that in that particular situation was was OK because mm-hmm. it was a, a sandstone rock pinnacle And it was on the slope of a hill. And so the higher I got up, it was actually, you know, sort of this this hill going up behind the pinnacle that I was climbing on. It never appeared that I was too far off the ground. Right. Had I been on on the front side where the, the, the hill was sloping down below the pinnacle, then every foot I climbed higher would take me like two feet further away from the valley or something. Right, right, you know, right. Because the, the, the hill dropped away. Um, and so, so I, and I had tolerated that, and then we got on this multi-pitch route, and we got up a ways, and I couldn't, I just refused to, I could not turn around and look out. I was just like face pinned to the wall. Right. We're 800 some feet, you know, or whatever from the, You uh, so that walls, that's 1,000 feet. Sure. Yeah, so somewhere between 700, 800 feet off the base of the cliff, which then also goes down another 1,000 feet to the creek, and then, and i at some point it got high enough that i couldn't i could not assimilate the sensory input or i don't even know how to i mean i try to describe it in a in a eloquent way but i was just fucking shit scared yeah and 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 their guys are like and i was on you know there's this this ledge at the end of one of the pitches and it's like a bucket seat like if you were sitting in it facing out you're ass would be lower than your knees like no way you could fall yeah, out you're of it. Safe. You'd like you're totally safe you could untie you could do w- whatever and be totally safe and uh, i was uh, brad keith and andy were the two guys um i can't remember andy's last name but uh um and they're just like no man turn around it's so cool the view is awesome I'm like i can't <laughs> <sighs> okay. and it was kind of all i could do i mean there was a c- couple of times early in my climbing career where i w- i just get scared for you know i like, got a harness on and a rope and the anchors in the rock and there's no way anything's right. going to happen but that's not what the brain is everything is possible yeah at this point the rope is going to <laughs> dissolve due to its exposure to oxygen in the air you know some ridiculous <laughs> fucking thing yeah is is where it's think where it's going um and and i had the t- and there's a point um it, uh, early on in Extreme Alpinism, the book that I gave you yesterday there, where I described like I had to, I quit climbing for a year because I was too fucking scared right. to do it. And I uh, went to you know a guy that I was working in a restaurant with. He studied at the Seattle Kung Fu, Kung Fu Club. He said, look, you got to come in. And like, if you want to get a handle on your fear, you should come down and study martial arts. Yeah. And so I spent a year doing that. And then, uh, you know, got back uh, climbing and, and the whole thing was just done. It was just it was, I don't want to say magically gone, but you know there's it, it, that did me a world of good. I don't know, and, and then after that, the only times when fear was completely out of control had to do with moving water, either of the frozen <laughs> variety or, or not, um, or when you know a couple times in the mountains when things went to hell in a handbasket. Right, but right, yeah. but. When you think about like, if I think back on sort of the incident on Nagaparbat in Pakistan, where you know, we got caught by a storm quite high up and all you know, swept off, all four of us swept off, held by a single ice screw. Um, and then uh, we dropped the only two ropes we had. I dropped one of the tents. Um, and we're still you know, way the fuck up there. And the, the face had only been climbed once and Reinhold Nestor was one of the guys in his book about it. He's he wrote you know keep you know the the high camps on the mountain fully stocked with food because there's no way to get down in a storm right and so we got no ropes no you know the the, the tent we've run out of um we're out of food we've got one day of fuel left uh so, so that we would you know use the stoves to melt snow so we could drink um you know, without without white gas for the stove you got no uh, you're you're just going to die of dehydration, or yeah. you know, or make a bad decision, whatever. And and uh, and so we have this quote in our head saying that you can't get down in a storm, and now we don't have the means to get down, either. And um, but just like that moment where you said you acted completely rationally when the shark lifted, yeah. it's just like okay, if we're gonna have a chance, I'm pretty good at down climbing. Yeah, and. You know, I guess we're going to just go for it. And I also knew at that point, like one of our, one of the guys um, that was with us, Ward Robinson, was really altitude sick. And I just knew that if the gods needed a human sacrifice, it was going to be him. <laughs> 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 and so I was kind of I, like, you know, there was a couple of things like this avalanche slope. Like there was a hard slab. Uh, on this one slope that we had avoided on the way up, but we couldn't on the way down because uh, we didn't have the means to repel the steep cliff to the next to it. So we had to go down. And we were just like, all right, roll the dice. But, but very, very, you know, there's no sort of hyperventilation freak out. Like, it's just going to be unhelpful because yeah. it's going to take, you know, if we get down, it's going to take two days. So... Let's, uh, I'll save, I'd like to save some of this freaking out energy for later, yeah. like, cause I might need it tomorrow, you know, in 36 hours. You're coming but. from a place of deep knowledge by this point and yeah. experience. Yes. And
1: I, I found that, you know, because, you know, the cover of Unbuilt, I was telling you, there's a picture of a wave, this mm-hmm. place called Karamas yeah. in uh, Bali. Uh, I went there, we happened to be playing in Indonesia and it's a reef break, heavy right hand reef break, and I went there, a couple of us after we played Jakarta, stayed there, and I saw this wave, and it breaks big and it breaks clean, but it was way too heavy for me at that point. You know, it was a couple of years ago. I was looking at it and I was like, that's scary. And also, it's a heavy reef. I mean, break your neck on that Mm -hmm. stuff if you don't know what you're doing, you know? Um, If I went back now, I would feel, and something went wrong, like even on like a drop-in on, on a wave like that, I would feel a lot more able to deal with different contingencies on okay. the way down, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm coming from a place of much more experience.
0: But also, like so you, you look say. at it now and you, and even though it's scary,
1: I looked at now, nah, I'd surf that motherfucker. You know, you know what, what I mean? Yeah.
0: That's, that's a fucking cool um and that's part of it. trajectory in a way like to to have been there, seen the thing. And it's happened, it happened in the mountains for me a number of times where I'd see a face and just go, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 not, not, not for me, not now. And then gone back with, you know, having gained experience elsewhere and then have it be still like, okay, I don't, I don't ever want to look at the thing and just go, oh yeah, I got this. I got this. No. Yeah. I don't. That's not going to be an interesting experience. No. It's got to put you at least in sort of yellow-orange sort of yeah. condition of, like, I'm highly sensitized and nervous. However, I feel like I, that's, that's actually the sensation that I need right now in order to go out there yeah. and be present and do the thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I you know, I don't
1: surf, like... Pipeline-sized waves, or like that's like those freakish waves in Portugal. But like I'm starting to surf some stout waves of consequence, and the fear is is such a nice part of it. for me, you know, it it's it drives me, I guess you know, when I'm going out and the heart starts going boom, 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 mm-hmm. and, and you're hyper aware of everything around you. And the
0: trivial shit that you're, you're paddling away from trivial shit on shore. Oh yeah. And the th- and that's I think one of the, be- why it needs to be that engaging in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if this, if I'm gonna have a, a, a whole experience, if, I c- if if it, I need to be somewhat uh, nervous, apprehensive, scared, whatever you wanna call it, um, in order to be fully present yeah like because if, if it's not engaging to me then I can think about you know oh was that my is that my phone I heard on the beach? Yeah you know who's calling or, or, you you know, and, you're, like and you're rip- not
1: treating the situation with the respect and gravity that it deserves at that point in time and
0: that's how you wind up dead yeah <laughs> um, so when you say like obviously I've got issues I don't know anything when you say it's, it's a hard reef break it's a, like it's if a, you so if you successfully surf the wave that part doesn't matter right it, what you my mean? understanding you're
3: right up over yeah you're, you go over but okay. if you
0: fuck up if you fuck up you that's when you the, eat reef that you eat reef. okay
3: yeah it's
1: not fun like if you uh, look at like that's why in surfing there's a term localism where if you go to a spot, if you're not a local, you don't go with somebody who knows people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Depending on the level of severity, there can be a bad vibe or violence, you know? So, and that's that's still real. And there's some parts where I completely get localism, like some waves, like Pipeline in Hawaii, for instance, that's a massive, you know, when it's barreling big, that's a two-story wave, huge, that is a wave of consequence, it's breaking in Four to six foot of water. And there's a reef beneath it, which is nothing but caves. And if you see underwater underwater photos of that reef, it's full of broken surfboards, mm. just full of of like the the fuck ups, <laughs> uh, the, wow. the the evidence. Kind of like fuck a graveyard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the consequences. <laughs> and the, the consequences are severe there, and people drown there every year. There. And that's why localism is makes sense to me there because. There's always the bozo who's always going to paddle out and be like, I'm in Hawaii. I'm going to try this thing. And they're going to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. And a surfboard and a, uh, traveling at a, a very rapid rate of speed will yeah. kill you if it hits you. So not only are you going to kill themselves, then somebody else is going to try and go drag them out. The surfboard might hit someone else and kill, kill other people. Right. So I am under no illusions that I will ever surf that wave right i'm too old i i only started surfing like four years ago you know i didn't grow up to it i grew up skateboarding i have no illusions that you people train for that wave okay and and i like having a good time i like being nervous and i i like big waves but i don't want to die
0: yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. well and and you know I, i think there's a like that that concept of there of the localism thing is it's is and it, it came up a little bit earlier you know p- people don't realize how they are affecting potentially affecting others yeah. you
3: know or, or um and someone just, will have to come and save you after you fuck up yeah which absolutely. puts yeah. other
1: people at risk absolutely yeah. absolutely you go there and you go you don't just go and surf pipeline you know you go there you show face for a while mm-hmm. hopefully you meet a local you go out for days and sit there there, and you wait yeah. and, and oh, until the locals are like, okay, go. If you don't go on that wave when they're like, hoot you into a wave, that's yeah. it, you're done for the day. Beat a kook, hit the beach, yeah. you know, because they don't have time for anything else. It's it's crazy, it's that intense. Fucking there, wild, yeah. And I mean, there's a just asshole localism too, where people are like, this is our beach. Blah, blah, blah. Who fucking cares? Yeah, but when, it,
3: when it's set, like, a, there's some waves that like the Taparua. Um, Tahiti, oh, like yeah. all those are very localized because of danger Cloud break. yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I mean you go to Mavericks there's, well you can't get out in Mavericks <laughs> like unless well, you that, know somebody yeah. so that one is kind of self contained but there's a bunch of, then there's tribal localism like you know in all the beaches in California meet some asshole that just doesn't want people in his territory yeah there's there is some, a difference there's but. even some of that in, you know on the east coast sure you know, it's,
1: i've heard of some people being not welcomed at certain beaches if they're from of town. like really dude i mean this this is the east coast in august it's not pipeline
0: in february you know this is shit you know like okay. we gotta fight over something man yeah exactly <laughs> like, you know and this it's it,
3: it's shit but it's our shit yeah but, but i'm wondering like, like i mean fuck. i mean I think it's useful. Like, most people would complain, like, no, everybody should just be so welcoming and open. I'm like, no, no, you missed the point. Like, that buy in is almost like stand in for a sort of apprenticeship like what are you willing to wait for until someone will guide you into this thing or yeah. like how long are you willing to actually just look at the sets that are coming in and understand like the nature of the place as opposed to like look a wave grab your board head out oh yeah like and that's the hardest thing to do no, okay. when you show up to a new spot mm-hmm. and you see the waves and it's
1: firing Is not just jump in no, no you no, know yeah, it, it's like holy shit that's fucking awesome they're yeah. peeling I have to, you know, I've been taught that by the guys I serve when you show up, study a spot for a while. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't there, you it's, if you aren't from there, you go out in the lineup. It's very, very quickly, it's made apparent the pecking order, mm-hmm. sure you yeah. know, and you kinda show respect to that because you're from outside, you know? And if they're cool, man, people are gonna be cool. So I haven't really had problems, man, because I, I, don't, I don't act like an asshole. you know
3: imagine that
1: you know but I mean there's some places where it's it's pretty the localism is pretty heavy and Mm -hmm. you want to go with someone you know like I I served county line my buddy does and uh, one of the kind of local heavies carried us there and introduced us to all the people when we got there so that you know the car windows wouldn't be smashed when we got out sure (laughs) like
3: it's kind of it's weird you know so, so are you a traveling surfer? Like you mentioned Bali, uh, are, are you looking for, like, is that part of the draw for you? Is it just the actual experience? Cause a lot of people, and I would put myself in this category for when I want to go do something is like the traveling is the part of it. Like the uh, removal of my normal environment. Absolutely. Okay. 100%. What, what places it. do you look at going? Like I, that would fit your skill and temperament.
1: Uh, I, I've been surfing last January. I went down to Ecuador mm-hmm. Uh, I have an Ecuadorian buddy, uh, and they in the winter, they get the same swells as the North Shore of Oahu just a week later. Mm-hmm. So the swell get Hawaii and then come down to Ecuador. Oh. Um, it was a really nice left-hand point breakdown there. I surfed a couple of different places. Um, I've surfed in Australia. I've surfed in Taiwan this last December. I was there for a movie premiere. I was in a political action comedy, Taiwanese movie. (laughs) I went there for Christmas and the co-star was a surfer. And we found that out during the filming of the movie a couple of years ago. Mm. And we pestered the director every day until he worked in a surfing scene so we could go surf together. And the waves were shit that day and the scene never got used, but I came back for the premiere and he and I and one of his buddies went and surfed the the northern tip of Taiwan. Nice in, in January. no, December. I think it was New Year's Eve was the last wave I surfed last year, but it was in Taiwan. Really good time. I surfed on this tour, um I surfed Rockaway Beach because I had to, because of the Ramon <laughs> song. Yeah. It was shit. But then I went down to Lido and Long Beach. Uh, or Long Island not far from there and the waves were pretty good that day. Mm. But yeah, I'm working on like surf trips more and more and more to also incorporate into a new book and also for photography. It's all like, it's hard to separate the different (laughs) things I like into like I do this for pleasure, I do this for business, I do this for the artistic pursuit. Mm -hmm. It it all just... (sighs) So
4: it's yeah. sounds like a lot of people in this room. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> man. Yeah.
1: It's probably why we get along, you know, like it's not that when I go to a foreign country to go surfing, my main objective isn't there to go and go surfing, but I damn sure will be keeping notes and taking photos and recording
0: this stuff because it's valuable experiences. Yeah. You know? I've actually, there's a, a guy, um, uh, lives in my building, um, Joe used to t- taught photography at the university of Utah for 20 plus years or whatever. Now he's retired and he's talking about moving to Portugal. And I was, and I ran into him the other day cause he's, he's going on a, like a, a, a test visit. Right. And, uh, you know, he's gotta be my age, whatever. And, and he said, uh, so he's going to go spend a month or something in Porto, he's going to Lisbon, Porto, Porto, I think. Oh, Porto. Okay. Yeah. Um, Anyway, you know, he's just like I just need to go see if I can live there, and if I can, you know, I'll come back. I'll sell the place, car, whatever, and I'll and I'll go. and And uh, he said, I, I learned the other day that um, this place I'm looking at uh, it's like one of the best surf spots in the world. Yeah. And and I said, Joe, I see you out on your mountain bike all the time, man. Who's to say what can happen. You get over there, you know. You might take up surfing as an older gentleman, uh-huh. and uh, and he <laughs> goes, ah, I don't know if I mean <laughs> like, if you move to a pl- like to a place that's one of the best things in the world, mm-hmm. y- you'd be a stubborn holdout. <laughs> I have a buddy
1: of mine like, who lives on the Outer <laughs> Banks. I went to high school with, and. The Outer Banks, North Carolina—some of the best surf on the East Coast, period—and and kiteboarding too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he hates the beach, and he—he uh, he he used to skateboard too, doesn't surf. And I'm like, how can you live here and not surf? How, <laughs> like, there's nothing else here. I, I guess, uh, yeah. Point of I, view, huh? Yeah, I'm putting my point of yeah. view on, on his his what he should do with his life.
0: Yeah. You know, obviously. it's <laughs> funny because um, Britain—I know that Kristen's been out. -hmm. To the Outer Banks, to Kai Bord I think Brittany has been. I know Zoe Hart comes over from France every now and then to go. I got. I. That's pretty famous. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what I associate with. You know, when I hear the Outer Banks,
3: A, like, there was some storm there a couple of years ago that fucked some shit up. But, that's um, every year. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and that's also
1: what brings the waves. I, but what brings, I had yeah, no but, idea
3: kiteboarding was as big as it was. Like, I thought it was, like, a very... It's It's fringe. I mean, it's not, you know, making the fucking X Games anytime soon. But when I went to Corsica, nervous. it was the first time. They, there was, like, dozens of them everywhere. They were flying all over the place. Yeah, And then talking to Kristen, she's like, oh, yeah, we go down to Mexico, and this is what we do for, like, months at a time. Like, oh... I had no idea. It, it just it doesn't appeal to me. It seems cumbersome to it me. It
1: seems like <laughs> just like getting your ass dragged across the water the whole time, like bop bop bop, bop, bop 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 and like
3: I don't know. It's it doesn't look like my my style of thing. I prefer to work with It definitely the, doesn't look smooth, does it? And I could yeah. be completely wrong. But I think how you described it is exactly what I think in my head is I'm I'm just fighting something. Yeah. And I don't have to get in the water. To fight something, I can go, like, do jiu-jitsu. Yeah, for for me, like, the water is... 250-pound man and fight with him.
1: Surfing in the water and stuff for me is the opposite of fighting. Mm -hmm. It's working with Mm -hmm. because you always lose against the ocean. Always, 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 (laughs) always. (laughs) Never think that you're going to beat the ocean. No. So you have to learn to accept
4: it. Mm -hmm. I got to assume that's similar to the mountains as well.
0: Um. Yeah, you, you. I always, I used to laugh a little bit when people would be like, you know, put their arms up in that, you know, I conquered the mountain, you know, and they're standing on top. And I'm like, dude, you got tolerated. Yeah, you got (laughs) a pass. You got a day pass, bro. Exactly. And guess what? Don't start celebrating because the hard part ain't. It's not like <laughs> the hard part is the shitty part is getting down. <laughs> it's it's not like the, there's Physi- a staircase after you get
4: to the top uh, where you're like, "Cool, you made it." Yeah.
1: Physiologically, you know, the the whole learning to work with the ocean is, is it, it's taught me a bit about the the fear the fears effect on your nervous system, on your body in general. Like, I've been out in pretty rough conditions, and when you wipe out and you're underwater and you don't know which way is up. You know, the best thing to do is completely relax. The best thing to do. Because you're,
0: you're going to float or eight, what? But no, like, because
1: y- y- <laughs> you, like. are, you aren't going to win if you're getting worked underwater by a okay, wave. Sure. And if you're tense and you're fighting and burning all this stuff, energy. you're burning oxygen. Yeah. Got it. So if you're like, if you're calm, you can stay down a lot more.
3: <laughs> calm, know? make sure the board doesn't hit you in the head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And try to avoid the coral. When you come up out of the
1: water, you're always like this with your yeah. arm across your... Your forehead. No, no. shit. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Which <laughs> I had a little scar right here, <clears throat> somewhere. I think right there. I ignored that wisdom okay. a, lot, a few months ago and pff, smashed in the face. You know, had to get a little glue my glue my dome back together.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that by a board? Or yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It was an eight foot fish. It, I was surfing shore break because the waves had stopped breaking out, I was just being an idiot. Riding a way too big board and like little, little small waves, mm-hmm. but that's generally when I I always found like skateboarding. Even I never got hurt doing big stuff. <laughs> I don't get hurt in in the big ways. It's a little stupid shit, you know that <laughs> I, you get like confident. You get a little, <clears throat> little complacent. <clears throat> yeah, and yeah. then
3: whack. You know. That's how I said most people get hurt in the gym, not with like. 99% of their max they get hurt with like 25% I think it's si- I think it's, yeah, it's 60 or something yeah.
0: like that where yeah. it's it's not heavy enough to command respect but it's heavy enough to hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. And it, but also and and I think in the mountains it's a, it's a, I think this must be a human thing mm-hmm. not a not a environment you know specific thing because in the mountains you know no one very few people die a, you know doing the glorious big fucking thing. Mm-hmm. It's just some you know, uh, it's an yeah, attention uh, thing. So, sometimes I think that, uh, that that maybe you do get a little bit compli. You know, you're not paying a. Maybe you're exhausted, but but it's often it's it's just something like, oh man, I don't want to, um, be the guy that tripped on the untied shoelace, <laughs> right, right, right? You know, right, on right. the easy slab route or whatever, and then went right, cartwheeling right. into the forest or something. <laughs> you know, but yeah, um. And there are, and obviously s- s- stuff bad stuff has happened on you know, on on, on biggest big climbs. I mean, there was a uh, thing just recently, the t- two Russian guys on Latok One. Hmm. Um, they got really close to the route that um, the Northridge of Latok one had been what they tried uh, Michael Kennedy and Jeff Lowe, George Lowe, Jim Janini tried it. They were on it for 25, 26 days or something in nineteen seventy eight. I want say yeah, because it's forty. And just and and, uh, and then Jeff got you know sudden onset altitude sickness up pretty high, and they had to get down, and it was epic. And then everybody, you know, like a who's who of the best climbers in the world, been trying it ever since. Right. Um, and uh, Chasen's son, um, British guy Tom, and, and another Slovenian just just did just did it. So forty years after the first attempt, where those guys got really close, these guys just did it. But in the month prior to them succeeding, two Russian guys got pretty close to doing it. And to turn back for a variety of reasons, and one of the guys fell and was killed, yeah. and the other dude—I mean, that's uh, that mountain. A bunch of people have been killed on it. It's right next to uh, the mountain that Kyle and uh, was on a couple years ago. But uh, um, so the other guy's up there. I can't. And uh, you know, last fucking dying gasp of the sat phone battery, you know, says I'm up here. He's over. You know, he's over 20,000 feet, um, and he's just like, I can't get, it's like, you know, and whether his partner fell and took the ropes with him, I'm not totally clear on the exact details. But he was up there for, you know, for a long time before some very, very skillful high um, altitude pilots in Pakistan. They've got a lot of experience rescuing people now. Um, we're able to go, we're able to get him, like. From yeah. over twenty thousand feet. I mean pretty Jesus. pretty amazing. Uh um so I would consider okay, that's a bad deal that happened on a big glorious route. But right. a lot of people have, you know, met their demise on a like say, you know, the the skate park equivalent oh, know, yeah. of the of the, <laughs> of the fucking easy obstacle. Or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and it's just you know, when something like that happens, it's just so sad. Yeah. Um because my God Damn. I guess, well, I guess if you were really, really, really good, then in these situations which demand twenty five percent of your attention, that's you know you give twenty four. Yeah. And then you're, whoops. Yeah.
3: Okay. I think in my case, I've especially recently been hurt more frequently just because it's an attention thing. Like there's only so much energy to put into attention. I try to get all the stuff in, and then I get hurt doing the most ridiculous stuff. Right. It's like uh, yeah, there's only so much you can actually concentrate, especially on the things that need your attention. Yeah. So they dissipate, right? Yeah. It's it's super frustrating. But
0: So Keegan, when you were in I was just going to
4: um say the same thing. Like Okay. So when I was Oh, go ahead. I got to pee. Yeah. Um so we're in Afghanistan, you know, the first 3 4 5 months, super diligent, highly attentive, you search everybody you know, you walk slow, you do the right things. And then somewhere in the middle, you kind of become complacent. The last three, four months, it's kind of like, you know, you move a little faster. You don't search as well. Um, there was an incident. We went up on a hill. We were hanging out. And at this point, we are like 11 months in. So it felt like fucking hanging out. Um, <laughs> so we're coming back. I don't remember the reason, but our, my squad leader and my team leader got in like a tiff or whatever. And our, my team leader just like hauling ass to get back to base. So I was right behind them. They were like, I don't know, maybe 30 meters behind us, which was a little too far for where we were. Nothing bad ended up happening, Yeah. but the next day the ANA was on the same exact route, and they went over two 40 40-mic Mike, Mike uh, shells in an IED, right. and like flipped their truck over like three buildings because the explosion was so big. And we had walked Fuck. by those that exact night, not paying attention
3: to anything. Being completely complacent. About. Yeah.
4: Just like just we'd, you know, we'd
0: done this route, uh, you know, three dozen
4: times and we we're just like, fuck yeah. it. Like let's nothing never has
0: happened here before. Yeah.
4: Let's just head back, which in hindsight, you're like, that's exactly why something should happen yeah. here. Yeah. But we were so fucking complacent and just like, let's get back. like almost like short timer syndrome where you're like, all right, we're going back to the States in 30, 45 days, whatever it was we're just like jesus christ so like that's almost like a reset hmm. to yeah. where you're like okay we got to like fucking screw this back down now we're back where on were our you? toes
3: again yeah afghanistan oh yeah yeah, yeah afghanistan
0: yeah, yeah. you do, and long did, that's a so you guys had a 1 year deployment yeah
4: they were army has always been a year <laughs> like up until uh i think the last 4 or 5 years they changed changed them to like 9 months okay uh, but the the deployment before that that unit was there for 18 months Oh. They just like, yeah, you'll be there for 12 months. Ah, two more months. Ah, two more months. And they used to do that to the 82nd all the time.
0: Damn. And then I think they realized that a lot of shit like that, people were dying B- just, just because from of the complacency, because yeah. it was, yeah, the, um, you're t- t- too familiar yeah. with the surroundings. Yeah.
1: You, you were know. asking about the long, steady drip of fear of being in prison, how I dealt with that yeah. the daily. Thinking about guys like him. I'm like, I'm not in Afghanistan. <laughs> like, seriously. And I know a lot of vets, you know, and I have a lot of friends who've been through some fucking crazy shit over yeah. there. And it was staying cognizant of my actual situation. That's how I dealt with it. And I thought a lot about, seriously, our service Yeah, men. You know, I'm like, dude, these guys are over there, you know, in, in the sandbox and, like, getting shot at and stuff.
4: At least we had shit to shoot back with, though. I think you and... Uh, president, yeah. Especially in a country you're wildly unfamiliar with, with people that barely speak your language. And-
1: the first day walking into Population was a different experience because yeah. I walked out of my cell and they moved me from... The, where everybody had to go for a few weeks for observation to see if you're depressed they put you in the basement for two weeks which is the most depressing part of the prison <laughs> I yeah. to confirm <laughs> that you're yeah, depressed yeah. like, or to make
4: you depressed if you're not
1: yeah this guy in the cell next to me he's like you're going to see the psychiatrist soon whatever you do tell, don't tell her you're depressed. Tell her you love prison. Tell her everything because I actually told her when she asked me, what do you think of this prison? I was like, it fucking sucks. And she's like, hmm, he's depressed. I better keep him down here longer. You <laughs> just didn't make sure. <laughs> yeah, when they, when they moved me up into population the first day I left um, my cell and we were lining up to go out to walk the yard, uh, there was about 100 guys in the hallway, and it was like the needle – yeah, skipped yeah, yeah. on the record and then a hundred heads came and looked at me and I, it's, I wasn't imagining everybody was looking at me they were looking at me because I was the American Yeah, you know and I just kept my back to the wall
4: I guess in some regard I'd rather have that bull shark pop up in the water so, than right. that experience yeah
1: I would rather do what I did I'd rather go through what I did than go be in Afghanistan right, for say, a year the, bro this is, like this is it's the really phenomenal
3: part though like Everybody, you know, minus me. I guess I've never done anything scary. I don't ever I, cutting hair terrifies me. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> dealing with women, yes, that terrifies me. um the The interesting part is to see like the difference of you describing a water scene and watching like Mark get goosebumped. Him describing down climbing off a twenty thousand foot. Yeah, to yeah. see you shiver just now and then all of us kind of like oh you're walking around in the desert with bombs yeah, yeah. all of us are just totally unprepared but each person has their own kind of tolerable fear and they tend to go like I think it it's useful as a tool to as like an antagonist for certain things especially acute fear like there's something about you know okay here comes that wave I have to ride it or okay if I you know do this correctly, it'll all work out. Like yeah. That acute fear is a teacher, and that chronic fear is also something to learn how to deal with the acute fear, like sitting in prison, sitting in the desert, sitting in the cold. All of these things are completely the same on one level. They all require that you're attentive. They all require that you are present. You're present, yeah. and. Yeah. And they they require knowledge and skill development or they lead to if they're handled correctly. And I think like that's a a fundamental misunderstanding about adrenaline junkies or fear seekers or uh, and I think like all those people are going to get a rush and it's like no I think those people are going to learn like in most cases. They're they're going to be taught. Like did they prepare correctly? Especially if you're base jumping and all these like. To me those are fucking crazy sports. Like why would you jump off of a Perfectly, perfectly hikeable good aer- trail <laughs> <laughs> or, I, you came up here on out a of a perfectly good airport. airplane right exactly yeah. it, and i i could see you know some kind of desire skydiving i, I could i could get into that like have you I, done it
1: i haven't i've done it once okay
3: and never again
1: i w- i'll do it again okay yes. but it was it's a lot of preparation it, well i was strapped to a dude
3: yeah yeah tandem
1: and okay. and like i went up in the there was a lot of preparation except for with my guy. Mm-hmm. So we went for our ten, <laughs> our 10 year band anniversary, went outside Vegas, right? And I was, wanted to do it so bad. And my guitar player, Mark, who was a roofer, who was terrified of heights, he's like, fuck that, I'm not jumping out there I'm scared of <laughs> it. And we're like, you're a pussy. <laughs> and you're coming with us, and how every and, good story and, starts. And this yeah. is Ted. This is exactly you are <laughs> a pussy. And like this is we gotta do this, man. We're jumping out of airplane in the desert over Vegas, and he's just like, Ugh. and so we we go, and he's finally he's like, okay, and we go and we do the little hour long talk where they talk about arcing and your back and how what's gonna happen and the procedure, and we're doing tandem. We're attached to a guy, you know, and we start going and me and Mark were uh, in the first plane and we're going up and Mark goes, okay, I'll do it, but I have to jump out first. And I was like, fuck, because I wanted to be the, the you know, hard charger jumping out of the plane. And it, there was an eight second lag in between jumps. So there's this bench in this little airplane with open door and the first guy scoots down the bench and then stands in the door and jumps out 8 seconds and then <laughs> and then the next guy so we're on the way up and all my it was three of us in the plane me mark and one of the other guys and the other two guys are like talking to my bandmates they're like okay when we hit this i'm going to tap you here and you can pull this and, and we'll be at this many feet and all this other stuff and my guy since i'm tall he was the guy that was he was bigger than me, you know? And he was from like Syria, I think, or something. Abdul was his name, I'll never forget. And I'm like, Abdul, uh, their guys are talking to him about the, the parachuting stuff, you know? explaining what's gonna happen, and when they're gonna pull it, what's up? And he's like, we'll worry about that once we're in the air. And I'm like, fuck you, man. <laughs> and So I'm like, well, fuck it, you know? And I'm a little nervous, but
0: I guess I'm at the point of no return Yeah, now. <laughs> we're up there
1: and I go, Mark goes out and I'm still pumped to jump out of the plane, right? Mark is okay, we're ready to go. And I see Mark scoot to the edge of the plane and, he, and you grab these bars over there and you count and rock back and forth. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, and I watch Mark jump out of the plane. And up until that second, I had been super stoked to jump out of a plane. <laughs> and but then hits. I saw him jump out of the plane. And I was and like- And he disappeared like that. I like that. I was like, holy shit. That's my that's my bro. He just jumped out of an airplane. Why would he do that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> what the fuck?
2: And then the next thing
1: I do, Abdul is pushing me. He's like, we're going, we're going. Yeah. And like, and then one, two, three, and I'm out and just screaming. Have any of you skydived?
4: I've jumped out. of, I was in the 82nd Airborne, so I jumped out of a plane 10 times. Yeah, yeah. So the noise. A little, a little different, but same. line? Yeah. Yeah.
1: The noise in free fall is incredible. It's like. <sighs> And then he pulls a chute, wham! Quiet. And it's the most quiet, quiet I've ever heard or not heard, whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he pulled the chute, and then Abdul leaned down in my ears. He goes, How did you like that shit? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> was Oh, like, that
0: fucking kicks ass. Yeah, dude, but we were floating, but
1: like the the fear it was it, it came suddenly it was mm-hmm. like something i thought i was prepared for yeah. you know but the when i got on the ground the overall experience i described it as somewhere in between getting your ass severely kicked and the best orgasm you've ever had like a mix of those <laughs> a mix of the, wow yeah so i i would do it again my wife wants to go so i'll do it
3: again yeah i, I w- most of the things that I avoid aren't because of fear. It's just like equipment issues. Like I like to do things that I can replicate over and over again. Right, right, right. right. Like with minimal equipment or buy-in. So like, man, wakeboarding sounds really cool. I don't want to own a fucking yeah, have boat. I a boat. No, and then and I have to buy a trailer. Yeah, and then I need yeah. out a out trailer. A I need to store and the boat. I don't boat. know if a man.
4: Subaru can tow a boat.
3: Dude, the, it's the
0: LGBTQ-baroo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... I'm Speechless. Just, <laughs> I'm just going to remain silent. I, okay, the Pride Ride. The now pride I'll say it. Ride. It's <laughs> the Pride are. Ride. Um, uh, but th- that's the exact did, thing. Did, that did Josh put the sticker it? on it for you yet?
3: Not yet, but I'm waiting for it to pop up okay. one day, Just a rainbow yeah. sticker or something. Need it. Yeah. The, I, the idea you? that I'd have to buy a diesel truck and then a thing. So I don't, I'm not into wakeboarding. The same thing is true of of uh, you know parasailing or hang gliding, any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. Sounds awesome. I would love to experience it, but. Unless I can like continue to practice it, like logically, like okay, if I do it once, that's an experience. But usually, that doesn't in my like in the past that doesn't lend to the best way to experience something is just doing it one time. I want to do it like over and over to get good at it. Well, and they, therefore, just to, to, they to, say to, they say in skydiving
1: you don't really enjoy mm-hmm. your skydive until your second or third one because. At first, your brain is yeah. so overridden with this
4: experience because mm-hmm. you're not supposed to They're
1: fall from the, the sky. sky. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're yeah. just not
4: supposed and well, to. It's it not it. a perspective you can get anywhere else until you do it.
3: Exactly. And I've exactly. heard from some friends of mine that you know they actually work for the skydiving company that's in Northern uh, Ogden or whatever, and they say that they didn't really like enjoy it or be able to like actually think about it till their like five hundredth jump. Yeah. Or, or something ridiculous, and they just like jump. jump And they have thousands of jumps under them. They jump, you know, five times a day yeah. for years on end. And then I'm like, oh, okay, so that's something I can't get into. And that, that's what was so, uh, I mean, that's what was so attractive when I was younger to surfing or sailing because it was just so easy to get into. Yeah. And same thing with riding a bike. It's like, cool, I have my bike. I have the road. It's right outside. I can go have an experience almost immediately without any other tangible equipment. And right, I think right, that's, right. that's part of it for me, it was like, I want to be able to do this over and over again. So I'm not just like, uh, Oh yeah, I've skydived. Uh, and it was like this to make an assumption about it. And it was one of the, the apprehensions I had towards somebody talking me into trying free diving. And I was like, what kind of gear requirements are we talking about? And you're like, well, you need Storkle the ocean, fins. some fins, and some goggles. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's something I can get into. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> you're like, three things? I can do that. And especially because you're like, whoa. Well, oh, and lungs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you, Can you train for it on dry land? Like, yeah, absolutely. You can train actually a lot. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Mm-hmm. But only because the access isn't, you know. Yeah, we have to fly to the ocean to actually go, mm-hmm. you know, uh, deep diving or whatever you want to call it. But for the most part, you can get kind of a sense of what's happening which is static apnea, <laughs> which is fear-driven quite a bit. Yeah. That's a, that's a strange feeling.
0: Wow, I, that's, that's an interest, a really interesting way to put it because I, I think for me um, also, I mean, I would have consciously chosen to limit my certain experiences in life because I knew that, okay, mm-hmm. if I want to reach, if I want to learn the lessons that are accessible from deep practice of this particular thing, right it's going to take more than i have whether th- whether that's an equipment thing or a proximity thing or a or a, or a time thing or attention um, yeah i can't yeah
3: yeah
0: that that uh because i working on different movies i mean especially when i was living in france I worked on a bunch of action movies and so i was around these guys who were you know the, um, the, the first guys to actually sky surf and um it, it, and I'd been in the plane when they dry, when they when they've left out right and and seen how that's the only reason I know that a person disappears really fast once <laughs> out the door they're <laughs> fucking gone because yeah. I'd be like wow he's a speck holy fuck yeah um and, and but but never uh, um so I was around it but it, not only was my whole life you know built around hanging on harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at that time uh um <laughs> so the last thing i was gonna do was gonna fucking let, let go, let go. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> um but now you know I, I, I keep it keeps coming up and now and obviously andy mm. Stumpf is a uh very very experienced guy ever you mm-hmm. know prior military did a lot on the civilian side he's he's um, you know flies wingsuit base jumps has the um at, at one point anyway held the sort of distance Record. He, I, when we asked him about it on the podcast, we're like, do you still hold that record? He goes, I don't know. I don't pay attention. That was like yeah. three years ago. So three years ago or whatever it was. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he's, I said, you know, there's two guys in the world that I would jump out of a plane with and it's him and one of his, uh, his buddies, Steve, um, who's in the Navy with and they, they, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of jumps. I'm just like, okay, I guess like if I was going to do, like I don't, it terror scares me. Therefore, I should, but I don't want to be a fucking dilettante. <laughs> ah, fuck it. I'm conflicted. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with having that
1: experience just once. You know, my guitar player, Mark, will never jump out of a plane again. Ever, ever, ever. He mm. did it because we... shamed him. We shamed him into <laughs> it. You know, we guilted him into it. And, and And he did it. And he, you know, for me, I'd like to do it again. But I think it's... It's such a like you were saying. There's no frame of reference yep. for that until you do that. There's just no frame of reference. I don't, I don't think you would be being a dilettante. You don't have to be uh, the best at every single thing you do.
0: You know, it's allowed to experience something just once what was uh what, what did mark say after he was back on the ground he just he was just like i'm done that's it you know he's like that was that was cool i'm over
1: it <laughs> <laughs> okay my guy also landed us we were i had visions of us cuz you're hanging lower than the dude yeah you know i also had visions of us Gently landing and no, you, like in the didn't movies go that way, did it? and and the, you pull the things and the chute gently descends behind you and you walk away like you know Bruce Willis and like Die a hard or something Mission
3: Impossible yeah exactly that's not
1: how the shit went down there was like <laughs> this <laughs> concrete ditch that was nowhere near where we were supposed to land and we landed, bam like drug across this asphalt ditch Ugh. and I'm like Abdul what the fuck but I I was so pumped up. That I didn't really feel.
3: I didn't day. feel that my legs broke. Yeah, yeah. That I <laughs> how, was how did you like that shit? Yeah. <laughs> how, how did you like that shit? I'll never forget.
0: <laughs> so good. Oh man, like I. There was a point when I was flying the paragliders, and uh, I've made a few tandem flights with people as my client, mm-hmm. you know, in front, and and I'd come up with this theory: is like the the good pilot always lands on the client yeah <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: just make sure that soft soft I get landed it's for you always it's crazy i I'll do it eventually at some point yeah for sure it's 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 it's, it's an experience
1: mm-hmm. for some people once is enough you know and, yeah it's a, yeah
3: a shark diving. Like that, that w- once was enough. Oh, you've done it. Did you yeah. do the cage diving? Yeah, down in South Africa. See, I don't want to do that. I want to go out and get in
1: the tigers where, where there's no cage. So that, and You're that's right. what
3: I'd be more interested in is actually free diving with, with yeah. sharks as opposed to a cage. Yeah, um, I like that kind of stuff. I mean, we I, talked about it a little bit yesterday about earning the right to
0: be there in that yes. environment with the, the, the creatures that live in that environment yes. as opposed to mm-hmm. you know you're in a cage awesome. or, or they're in a We're cage and are chumming really
1: hard and yeah I went to a zoo on this um on this tour because we played a venue that was connected to a zoo and I didn't pay to get into the zoo and I went to the zoo when I was a kid mm-hmm. my parents carried me and I think parents who carry their kids to the zoo don't have any ill intent it's probably educational but as they get older I went to this zoo because I knew they had, you know, gorillas, mountain Mm -hmm. gorillas in there. And I just saw these magnificent creatures who've lived their whole life in an area less the size of a city block. Mm -hmm. And there's a glass window where you can, the gorillas can see you and you can see them and these people are just banging and screaming and pointing at the gorillas and stuff. And I'm like, this is not right. Mm -hmm. You know, and then we were talking about earning. There's some experiences I think that with this technology that that humans have advanced so much and we know about so much more, mm-hmm. there's some experiences that I think I think we have we feel entitled to basically anything now, sure. you know. And ethically, I don't believe that to be true. Like the dolphinariums, like the swim with the dolphin.
3: Uh, oh, you mean because you recorded an album and I like it, I should deserve to download it for free <laughs> <laughs>
1: just like just our impact on everything you know and like i have interacted with dolphins in the wild mm-hmm. before and but i earned that oh, by yeah. learning how to be comfortable in the ocean to go far out enough to where they are and if they want to come near me
3: and then you wait for them to come to you yes trick. yeah you can't ever go out to them
1: yeah and like yeah they'll jet if you Mm -hmm. cruise toward them, but like, they'll come up to you and I've had one surf the same wave as me Mm -hmm. before. It's incredible. I will never go to a place which is basically an aquatic prison and, and make these poor animals perform for me or give me a ride or whatever they do, you know? And I think there's a lot of things because we know so much about the world now that people think they're entitled to all these things. And I think there's a matter of um, there's a matter of you having to earn it. I think ethically, mm-hmm. in order to have these experiences, yeah, you know. And I think that's kind of being lost with this proliferation of knowledge.
4: Well, I think we're like desensitized to it too. Like we just expect zoos and aquariums and Sea World to exist. Yeah. So we go to those places and we don't realize that those animals are not. Doing what they should be doing. No. Have you seen
1: Blackfish, the documentary? Oh, yeah. I have not. Oh, you need to see It's about the killer whales at SeaWorld. Okay. okay. There, there's never been a recorded attack in human history on a human being by a wild orca right. in the wild. Yeah but and
4: SeaWorld they've killed yeah they've had a few
1: yeah because they're psychotic yeah. they're highly intelligent <laughs> animals kept in a room their whole life about the size of this Just say, and, and that's in what,
3: a circle yeah. and that, yeah it's uh what the parking lot for SeaWorld is 20 times bigger than the actual living space that yeah. a worker will spend its entire life in like there gets Fuck. in instead of diving with sharks i would be actually more interested in diving with whales yeah Got, like talk about and this is a weird like the entitlement thing in a in hundred years, our, our whatever humanity will look back and be like, what in the fuck were we doing? Like sentient beings, granted we're meat eaters and we do all this stuff. We do not treat things like sentient beings. No. Like at all. Uh, the the amount of intelligence in a whale probably surpass. Like a lot of people will probably question the intelligence of like, oh no, humans are the most intelligent being because we've created all this stuff. It's like, well... That can be argued. We have to create all this stuff. Like to communicate around the world, we needed to devise something like the internet. Mm -hmm. But a a fucking sperm whale doesn't. Like they can communicate around the world without the fucking internet. Yeah. Like <laughs> they don't they literally can communicate from like thousands of miles away. Like they have their own internet kind of deal. And they how they last um, projected that they're communicating is that uh, these like four styles of echolocation that they're using. And one of them is thought that they can actually transpose images of their echolocation through vocalization. Whoa. Which means I am imprinting in you, basically sending you an Instagram picture of what I'm looking at, and you're like, "Cool, I get it." They can do that. Drop the pin. Yeah, like that kind of like (laughs) that kind of shit, and you're like, "Fuck!" And we, I mean, decimated the entire species of sperm whales. Oh yeah. But now we're, and we barely know. There's like five researchers in the world that are investigating like how they communicate, and it's probably the most advanced communication ever discovered. Right. And there's like five people in the world that care about that, but we could learn. I don't know, light years ahead of where we're at if we learned how they communicate and why they do. Yeah, we all could
4: right. learn how to make the internet faster. Yeah, but instead... <laughs> it, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> 6G. It's <laughs> called sperm G. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, the, the weird... Yeah, and, and instead, like the, I, the right to go into... The, the weird thing about the research in them that I think is fascinating is that they do not come around technological equipment. Like they, they avoid it at almost all costs. Mm-hmm. If you're in a scuba outfit... Fuck you. They don't want anything to do with you. The only people that are able to like get close to them are free divers and people that do it on their own capacity. Right. Almost like you have to bridge the gap, which is a really interesting concept because we use something very similar for our environment. Like people have to bridge the gap if they want to communicate with us. You had to come here. Even though there was communication, like in order to have a real conversation that has impact and that it's experiential you have to meet in the middle somewhere. And I think the most intelligent beings replicate that, including whales and, you know, set of oceans or whatever you want to call them. They, this idea I think should be taken in, in proliferated. Like you need to do, you need due diligence in order to experience somebody else's environment. And a zoo is the exact opposite of that. Absolutely. Uh It's just,
1: it's crazy <laughs> you know i i saw uh, you know jaguars cloud jaguar mm. a beautiful animal every wild cat i saw there was just pacing pacing, pacing. H- huge yeah. enclosure but just pacing pacing mm. pacing 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 pacing. Yeah. and i'm like that motherfucker belongs in the amazon yeah you know what i mean yeah. he does not belong here in the midwest <laughs> 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 I,
3: and that, that, I think i first realized i was down at a zoo and um uh, Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, which is, uh, first of all, it's a petting zoo. I, I was going to yeah. say, the, the, isn't the place itself kind of a zoo? <laughs> there's literally a giraffe just walking o- around the yeah. air. Like, there's no enclosure for the giraffe. You can literally walk up and, like, pat it on. Like, it is the most insane thing I've ever seen. And they give you food to feed to the animals, which is right. another insane thing. And a side note, they give you, like, what they call the bear cookies. And it says, for like in some kind of weird translation in Spanish, "Don't feed the male one." <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, do I? There's two of them. I don't know which one look. I don't know which one is the male one. Uh, I assume that it's the happy one next to the to the the fence to get the cookies. But that that's all you know. And they they had so they had some sedated lions and tigers that Mm. you could go pet and then they had some baby lions and tigers which at the time like i didn't realize how fucked up it was until like you're actually there holding it and you're like this is the most fucked up operation because this this
0: this lion cub's mom
3: would fucking kill me if she wasn't high on value right now and this (laughs) three-month-old tiger would fuck me up like kill me if it wasn't sedated yeah and you're like holy fuck i mean just like and it gets kind of you know, it causes a little bit of ruckus, and they grab them, put a chain around their neck. and You're just like, there's some, there's a reason why we can't interact with these things in their own environment, and there, that's probably a good reason to not interact with them. Period. Yeah, like, yeah, notice them, study them, do whatever, learn about them, but. There's no reason that I should be able to pe- like pet a fucking tiger. No, no, <laughs> no, no. <Yeah>. There's not. <laughs> there's it's not like when
1: Siegfried and Roy got <laughs> yeah. got mauled. Yeah. People are like. Oh, you know, the the tiger was upset because a woman in the audience made a suggestion. I'm, no, no it's, it's a fucking tiger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's in Las Vegas. <laughs> you know, that's why Reason someone got fucked up. Right you know? there. It belongs in so, India, right. in the jungle. And, ha- you know, having been in a cage, I think that's another thing. Like, I- I've always, you know, you were saying yesterday you have a problem with authority. I always have myself <laughs> had, you know. But being in a cage, like, for a while, it it makes you kick, 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 kick. Mm-hmm. And then I see other things in cages, which has always been distasteful to me. But now
4: it's just super distasteful, yeah. you know?
3: Yeah, I can't do it.
4: So on a uh, – were you on Joe Rogan? Is that what you're saying before? No. Oh. Um, well, anyway, so he's got uh, his last bit uh, triggered, I think, his Netflix special. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a bit – and I'm, like, 99% positive it's accurate, so don't kill me if it's not – but there's more tigers in captivity in Texas than there are tigers in all the wild of the world. Yeah, it's it's not tech, it's
3: uh, domestication. Like there's more privately owned tigers. In Texas than the rest of the world.
1: That's crazy.
3: yeah, Yeah. Just some rich assholes being like, I should get a fucking tiger.
1: Well, there's also in like the Everglades, (laughs) there's all sorts of weird shit down in Florida. Oh yeah. That has gotten loose. And like, I know some people down there were telling me, like there's emus down there because back when ostrich and emu meat was going to take the place of beef, do you remember that? Yeah, uh, yeah, like yeah. a bunch of people are like, we're going to start an emu farm. And yeah. then they're like, holy shit, this is a lot of work. The emus, poof, now they're in the yeah. Everglades. The bottom fell out of the emu they farm. have like a <laughs> Burmese python <laughs> yeah, problem yeah, or something. Yeah, they're down there because it's perfect for them. And then there's also <laughs> sometimes a lot of big cats down there because of the drug dealers down there oh. when they get <laughs> status – they get a cat. And they get. I'm, I need a tiger. And then the feds <laughs> come. You know, the feds are coming to seize everything. They let the fucking tiger loose. Off
4: he goes into the jungle. Well, I mean, if they don't do that, what's their other option? Kill <laughs> him?
3: <things>? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I would like to see more displaced wild animals roaming the streets of major cities. Oh. Uh, that is. So
1: <laughs> I thought about it when I was in the zoo on this tour. I was walking through, and I was like what
3: would happen
1: if some of this shit got loose while I was in here? And I was looking around like at the different animals, you know, I was thinking where, I mean, nope, that one can climb a tree, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, I,
3: I, I saved my ass that way. I'm yeah. fucked. Basically yeah. all the animals, there's nowhere to run or hide. Yeah. Uh, therefore you don't have to be the fastest, Yeah. but you sure shit can't be the slowest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm just I'm just like convinced. Unfortunately, I'd get, you know, bit and spit out kind of style because I was just like, I'm too grisly. Uh, yeah. It's just like, yeah. nah, I need something a little like softer and chewier. Something <laughs> it's not all connective tissue. I'm, needs, I'm waiting for Mark <laughs> to look at me. <laughs> you need something with some marbling? Yeah. <laughs> yes. A human with some marbling. Maybe this
3: has uh, been massaged a few times. A Kobe human. <laughs>
1: you guys have some some big game up here. and I we do. Like, came out one time with a buddy of mine from Salt Lake and we went up to hills to shoot and I saw I'm from the East Coast we have white-tailed deer we don't, oh, okay we yeah. don't where oh, you have from, the little deer yeah and we yeah. don't have m- moose we're in the East Coast? <laughs> and, and like and we went up huh we're in the East Coast? Uh, Richmond, Virginia, and Cape Fear, North Carolina. Okay, I'm from Massachusetts. Oh, right, northeast. No. We don't have moose down where I'm from. No, but I no. went out and Fun. I had a That's I was, I was yeah, shooting a with experience. a one one to four hundred foot telephoto lens. There was a young bull moose in the in the rushes feeding, and I'm like, Ooh, I'm gonna shoot this guy. And I'm like shooting, getting a little bit close. My buddy's like, You need to. Respect that animal. He's going to fuck you up. Yeah. You know? And I was like, you're
4: right. I need
0: to turn around.
4: <laughs> to
1: Mr. Utah, I'm out of here.
0: Yeah. You know? I mean, it's true. It, it's true. Like, it, the moose kind of, like, you, unfortunately, I, I'm guessing that most people's exposure, the majority of people would be bullwinkle. You know, right, that would yeah, be their yeah. moose exposure or whatever. The, the
3: anthropomorphization of every animal. Oh, yeah. Ever. yeah.
0: And, uh, yeah, the few times that, Uh, I've run across moose when I've been out here. I'm because I've heard the story. I've I've not been charged, but they can cover ground. Yeah, fast, big, crazy. And they're getting and they do. There's a reputation for them being a little bit ornery sometimes. Yeah,
3: Mm -hmm. well deserved. Yeah, I would imagine. I imagine Uh, it's yeah. Moose are probably the most imposing that I've ran into. For sure. Mm-hmm. Like you just stop and you're like, I'm going to go the other way as slowly as I can. Uh, yeah, I'm just not going to freak the Yeah. I'm going to stay calm, I'm not going to try to jostle him anymore. Mm-hmm. But the bears up here can be pretty. You tactic. guys have brown bears? Yeah, uh, black too, I believe. Brown and black. Is it brown or black? I think they're black from here mostly. Black. Uh, yes. Then we have a ton of cougars. Mm-hmm. So quite a few mountain lions. There was one a couple years ago that was running around a movie theater. It must have been sick or something because it died pretty pretty soon after. Yeah. But it came out of the gully where we used to run and yeah, it's kind of fucking crazy. Yeah. So. yeah, there's yeah wildlife here and
0: um and and you know the funny thing is like the mount the the mountains mm-hmm. yeah you know, they it they're they're small mm-hmm. here you know, it only goes <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to you to <laughs> you <laughs> I, I, like we got but, little mountains <laughs> right. But the, but it, so the what the, the twins are, you know AF twins or whatever. It's eleven thousand something, <laughs> eleven thousand eleven three, um, and, and and it's uh, they become real mountains in the winter, mm-hmm. but they're so accessible that the level of respect that they are given is uh-huh. because they're right there. Yeah, and but there's a tra- trail tra- that goes up there. There's a trail, and I was up here in the summer, and it's totally fine. It's like, and, you like you it's, know, it's totally kind of the same, same in as the winter, thinking. right? Just yeah. yeah, it's just white. <laughs> it's Just uh, like the frosting. It just is, looks prettier. It's, it's, it's just Christmassy. <laughs> it's it's Christmassy. Yeah, I I with this this idea of entitlement and you know the, the experiences that I should be able to have without you know doing the apprentice journeyman sort of mm-hmm. trajectory to 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 be there to earn the right to have them on my own. Um, the, the the idea of commercial guiding in the Himalayas is, is was it something that was developed in in sort of my time as time. a climber, and and in those early days, I mean, if you've, uh, it, you know, competition was was quite um, intense between the different services that 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 uh, you know that were offering trips to Mount Everest, right? Um, and sometimes the you know you're trying to fill a trip, and the trip is going to cost this much money to, to you know for, to, to actually put on, and so you need X number of clients to finance that, and. So maybe you're a little bit more um, relaxed in the standards of the people that you take, because obviously the guides and the um, the, the local personnel, uh, the sherpas who are going to be on the route and you know doling out the oxygen to people, et cetera, you know they can they can account for a lot of inexperience on the part of the client. Right. But just that idea that you know my maximum amount of climbing experience, you know, because I have you know I only get two weeks off a year because I have this intense job on Wall Street or wherever it is, but I got the money to go, so I want to go. Um, and the, the totality of my mountain experiences, I climbed Mount Rainier with a guide service. Then I climbed McKinley with a guide service. Um, you know, doing and and i um, conquered um, it. You mean you didn't just climb. It well, someone it. had to wipe my ass for me. But that was, <laughs> uh, I, you I, can I,
4: word your Instagram post. Already, uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then and then to be able to go like to be able to buy your way into that, like okay, this very intense experience. And yeah, it's being interpreted for you. And yeah, you're being shielded from mm. some of the risk. It's being assumed by others. Um, you could, but if, if, if all that shit fell away in the instant and you're just there, it, you're fucking done. You're fucked. You're, <laughs> yeah, you are just, you're totally done. And, and, and that to me was always like, the, the, the thing about like
3: the, the earning, earning the right is this like, if
0: everything goes wrong,
3: I'm sorry, sir. Your human experience here today is done. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but, it, but if you've earned the right to be there, and mm-hmm. then if everything goes wrong, you could still potentially, you know, uh, survive. Yeah. You know, find yeah. your way out in a way where, if, you know, for me, I had this, you know, argument, and I don't get into it anymore because it's, you know, the, 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 the commercial. Climbing in the Himalayas and in these, in these kind of situations that that genie has left the bottle a long fucking time ago. The bottle is destroyed. The genie's so long gone. Um, but, but just this idea of like if the client runs out of oxygen, the outcome is fucking guaranteed. Yeah. Mm. You know, you're a couple thousand feet above the last oxygen stash and a couple thousand feet below the next one. And you're not a properly acclimatized. And, you know, you get some kind of malfunction. Someone's not there to deal for you. Done. And I just think that and for me that's just a, a level of risk I would never take as a a you know a, you know a guide i e guardian <laughs> you right know, someone who's um, but it and i and I, I felt really strongly for a long period of time I mean I, I, I maybe I was a bit more fervent about my ideals when I was younger um, about that like you don't deserve to be here. you didn't earn the right to be here. you can't have this experience I'm sorry you know, and and part of that was like you know, uh, Fuck you, I got mine. Kind yeah. Of, kind of thing. Like, I'm already here. I already paid, you know, the game's locked now. You guys are out. It's, it wasn't that. It was more like, okay, that you're not. You're a fucking poser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, and, and, and wealthy enough to, you know, yeah. to, 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 to get here or, or whatever it is. It's it just, and, and part of it was like, I wanted them to have the experience that, they, that I think they should have right in yeah. the mountains or the experience that the mountains can provide and you've got all these layers of insulation and and and, and in between you and it and so therefore you don't deserve to be here and yeah I was
3: an asshole but i mean, I mean man, the way i thought about it i would it. just like to sell uh these CEOs from Wall Street the um uh, access to pipeline yeah <laughs> <laughs> or here, deal with this localism or you like, you know you yeah. can or wow. the
1: people that think they can i don't know it's funny man people there's so many experiences that just can't be bought if they're going to be authentic. Yes. I think that's the root of it, you know. You can if you have enough money, you can push someone certain people enough to they will provide you the facsimile of an experience, but it sure. will never be authentic. You know the problem but it with might that, be
0: exactly what you're looking for yeah. if you're that, per- like I don't need the authentic well, those, thing. I just need the. Well, those are like um, people that go to foreign countries and stay in resorts.
3: No, it's the people that go to foreign countries through a cruise ship. Yeah, like it's not even just the resorts. Oh, it's yeah. like the resorts deems that they had to walk through the airport and go like drive on the city streets. Yeah. The cruise ship mentality, where I go port to port and I get six hours, and I can say I visited a place. Like that is the social media experience of actual traveling. Yeah. And and the commentary like the the associations that go along with it are extremely the same. Like when we're talking about buying your way into a potentially dangerous experience by being more capable, we're also kind of generally talking about the way people communicate now. Like we're before we started recording we're talking about commentary on Instagram. Right. Um Uh, In my experience, the comments left on a post on Instagram are never from the person you would actually ask advice from because that person is busy doing the thing. Oh, absolutely. Right? They're always from not even the next person down. They're from like the bottom of the barrel. Like, you know, what we call like Instagram coaching. It's never from like a guy who is a, you know, thousand pound squatter. It's the it's guy. It's really from a guy that actually coaches. Right, right. It's it's from a guy who's seen some videos on YouTube about you know some cues and he wants to pass those on. It's like worse than an amateur because the amateur thinks he has knowledge that he doesn't. Right. And it, this is like I don't know maybe it's a I don't even know what to call the subject, but it seems endemic of almost everything. I, I, I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on this one because what yeah, you were saying, uh,
0: um, Randy, a little bit about the you, you know these. um we're just starting to talk about experiences that people can have or, you know, insinuate their way into or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, each of us clearly has some strong opinions about different aspects of this. Right. Um, and, and I was thinking that, you know, I think th- people, it's a lack of education sometimes mm-hmm. on the part of that person. They don't know that, they might not know that there's a different way. Right. Like we have been, you know, poor in our, you know, be, because of the sort of, you know, you know whatever is in my... View I could say I have a negative attitude about this, I have an elitist attitude about this, whatever that <laughs> might be um I've done a poor job of like saying hey there's a there's a mechanism by you know historically you know through which people gained this amount of knowledge and like went and had this thing, and that's and then once once you've gone through that process, then the, the experience you have is this you right. know, x whatever um and then maybe it's prevalence of life hacks and you know all this like the idea that I need can shortcut my way cuz you guys you old guys already already had all that fucking experience right. you know that it, you know you, um but but I think it's, it's sometimes like oh there's a different way to go about this than mm. it, it that you know has not been presented only the results have been you know like mm. especially with you know if we go Back to this internet or social media sort of presence for a lot of these things, it's like yeah that I, I, that that could be someone's only access point or you know to, to some some basic knowledge. And if it's a you know charlatan who's providing it, that's unfortunate for them. But um, but the, the they they might not know that there was like, well, what you're getting here is the digital Cliff Notes version. There was an actual book, and then there was actually years of study, and then there was all these other right. things that allowed the authentic experience to be had by someone right
4: I think people lack context too like I think people that take guides and groups that go to the Himalayas and then listen to what you've done I think they think it's the same (laughs) to some degree not not from your perspective (laughs) but from their perspective because they're like oh we climbed the same thing so we did the same thing oh not not realizing (laughs) that it's
0: 100% different I Also hold that opinion. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the the thing was, you know, you show somebody a picture that you've taken that you're quite pleased with, and and uh, and depending on who that person, you know, just just Ben Staley and I, I think Mm. maybe had this conversation about like somebody says like, oh, if I'd just been there with my phone, I could have taken the same picture. (laughs) Okay, I love that (laughs) shit. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's there, you know. Like yes, I went on a guided trip. I hiked to Everest Base Camp. Yeah, I saved my climbing partner's life at you know twenty six five when he right. came down with cerebral edema, and we were the only ones on the mountain, and you know we had no sleeping bags, no tent, no oxygen, nothing. I don't think we had the same experience. Right? No, yeah. no. <laughs> same, same, but different. But yeah. we were, we Just were a little different. <laughs> you know, geolocated nearby each other. You yeah. know, like.
3: I have too many things to compare this to to me. I, <laughs> yeah, there's about a bazillion But There like is, because there's also this false um, this false perception of knowledge through like um, an education system promoting the idea that now that person has read the required information and repeated that required information to pass the test. Okay, hang now on. That t- person we we, we got a timeout. Like, okay. Keegan, yes. you don't get to talk about education,
0: the educational system. <laughs> That's true. Nor can you, Michael. None of us have experience, and nor can I, because none of us have experience with. Hey, man, I dropped hey, look, out so after a year. I didn't.
4: <laughs> so I've graduated college, so I don't actually know what higher oh. education to this
0: individual meant. But, but I feel like I, I reached it. it. <laughs> so, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're just refer There was an interesting exchange of comments. You know. Funnily on Instagram, if I recall correctly, um, about a podcast topic that came up because we were, I think, busting on... Education? Education. Okay, so I I won't put it down. (laughs) What I will
3: say is that it is different, right? So like if I earn a PhD in sports science or nutrition or whatever, that person is deemed the expert, but there is generally no practical execution of that profession. There's just a couple of letters that go after that deem the pre required knowledge was attained. Right. The difference to me is like, if I, if I was gonna you know, go have an experience, would I wanna fucking talk to a geologist about Everest or would I wanna talk to a fucking alpine climber? Yeah. Like there, there's an execution thing that we, we miss mark education as in there is knowing yeah. and then there is knowing of. Like I know of geology, I don't know it intently like I, I you know how to climb a fucking rock somebody knows about the sediment layers There, there's this separation and we don't deem it different like we just say the PhD is the intellectual he teaches everybody about the other things and there's no actual like the waterman that knows surfing so genuinely like that can read waves that understands how coral forms and all these things and knows how to actually move in that environment. That's the guy that I wanna talk to and that's the guy I wanna learn from. I don't really care about the marine biologist that lives in Cincinnati that's only been to the ocean once to do their doctorate or whatever. Yeah, those people exist. Exactly, and and they're generally highlighted as like, oh, that's the pinnacle of education. It's like, no, the guy that spent 45 years of his life underwater or whatever, that's the guy that should be the pinnacle of actual education, which is intimate knowledge of something visceral um, knowledge yeah visceral knowledge sorry I don't know what I was going no, that, I, right. it, it's it, um,
0: it's funny because I think this is a, a band band word coming mm-hmm. up right? I think it's perspective thing mm-hmm. because I, you know I, I would just say like okay we're sitting in this room and um, we <sighs> Got to step out with this one. We are men of action. <laughs> 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 we, yeah, like we've interacted with the natural environment in a way, yeah. and, and so we, under, we so we understand that there is that difference between the the book learning and then the and then the backwoods learning. Yeah. You know, the, the stuff where should, you know there's the dirt time, uh, d- dirt, dirt yeah. time, yeah, that or nice. water time, or yeah. you know, whatever it, it, it is. And so, um, yeah, I have a and and I also know that my particular. Point of view about higher education is because, you know, it's a it has to do with you know, an ac- coming from an academic family, mm. sure. a- against you know which I had to revolt and then now I gotta like <laughs> doesn't sound like you at all. I funnily, it, so I I you know yeah I want to bust on that and say yeah there's a difference between the book learning and the and the and the, mm. and the dirt learning or whatever it is and and uh, um, and I. I uh, sh- I'm also mature in shit now, I don't know if you noticed on account of the gray hair um, <laughs> that I have to give you know some value to both yeah,
1: absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, because I think for experiential purposes, common sense as as it were versus <laughs> yeah. a, you know academic knowledge is what you want, but I think the academic knowledge is just as necessary in learning to perhaps n- Looking at the bigger picture, figure out how to preserve yes these experiences, and mm-hmm. figure out what you know unknown factors are affecting the environment, and you know that you need eggheads to sit and think
2: yeah, and, sure. and,
1: and look at stuff like that.
4: Yeah, I don't think we necessarily were knocking it to the point of saying it shouldn't necessarily exist. Not nice just try, saying college boy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah For, the, the for sure. you go back to your ways. Frat, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's better ways to do things, and uh, schools these days are based more on like learning how to pass a specific test that makes the school look good, Rode as opposed knowledge. to teaching people how to learn and actually become better human beings.
0: Yeah, eventually you're gonna get turned loose into the wild, and right. And uh, I I really am a I would consider myself a shitty teacher if I didn't give you this you know some skills that will be useful once you get out. Right. I I graduated college, <laughs> and the next day was
4: like now what yeah i didn't feel (laughs) fucking prepared for anything i didn't know what i wanted to do i mean i didn't do college you know i didn't do the best at college but i did college but it was just it's like all right like i made some friends i became good at networking which i feel like i'm still good at networking but aside from that like i didn't i didn't like walk out my dorm room after i graduated and be like cool the world's my oyster let's go get a job you like start to try to find a job and you're like oh fuck there aren't any or not that right. I want to do. How old are you? Uh, Thirty four. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's a different world. My father
1: was the first guy in my family to graduate from college on that side of the family, and he was able to get a job. You know, electrical engineering and stuff, yeah. and with a you know a four year degree. That those times are gone now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You you can't really expect to walk out of college. Well, even now, it,
4: you, like you, your bachelor's cool, but you need a master's exactly, or you need to be working on your PhD. Yeah, and you're
3: 38 or by you the time you're out of, of school, and, and you're a
4: hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt.
3: Yeah, in some cases, I kind of like this scenario because wait, wait, hang on, how much debt do you
0: do you have? You, you got oh, I don't have any of that. I no no I know that. But so if somebody gets out and they got hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt, and i say, and to me, you sound like a very. In- obedient employee. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. You don't You don't get to fucking mouth off. Yeah, because uh, you can't bankrupt you... out of that shit. Yeah. That shit's for yeah. life. Uh, yeah, the,
3: I, the, I think I I almost like this atmosphere better because there is some form of selection going on. It's a, You can't just, you know, and maybe my generation was the last that was able to get a higher education for an affordable price and mm-hmm. then get into a market where they expelled all the qualities of an intellectual whatever you want to describe that as. And now when you look at it, you're like, okay, you need a different path. You have to be thinking differently. You have to be more experienced than your average person because school is available to everybody. Not, edu- I mean, not true education, but school yeah. and the letters involved. You can, you can and get documents. a piece of paper yeah. just as easy as anybody else. Right. So therefore there's no, there's no determining who is more qualified than the next. You're both just a bunch of kids who've never done shit. So, the person that will survive and rise to the top in a situation like this is somebody who actually goes against the grain, does something differently. Like, right. that That doesn't take the normal path of like four years here, then a PhD, and now I can sit and be, you know, an employee for $45,000 a year uh, at a whatever lab. <laughs> yeah. I, Sitting in a cubicle
4: just like those fucking cage tigers at a <laughs> their, uh,
3: pacing. <laughs> <Yeah>. They're
4: pacing.
1: <laughs> well, those people, I mean. It, it, it t- I have to watch my uh, judgmentalism. Yeah, I suppose. We, uh, I'm with I'm with you. Yeah, I on have that, to man. watch that about myself because I can get super snarky and up on my high chair, and I've, you know, always maintained my pursuit of art and living outside the rules and all that stuff i mean really i boxed myself into a corner where i had no choice but to do it you know what i mean let's be honest which is kind of what i think we all do yeah Yeah. and you know it's like getting tattoos on your hands they call them job stoppers for a reason some people have them you know but especially when they say fuck you yeah Yeah. or or it used to now you know but uh but for me, I think about the people that work in the office job and work in the cubicle, and they work and they're supporting their family that way. Sure. And I'm like, you are super, because that system, in order for society to function is in place for a reason. Yeah, that system know? has to exist. And, and we yeah. can scorn it all we want, but we certainly benefit from it. Yep. But the people that make up that system and the person that works, you know eight to nine hours you know normally nine hours a day if you count in travel and stuff for x amount of money to pay the bills to you know pay for their kids and all that other stuff the guy that and, and girl that goes and go do that i think of them i'm kind of like you're superhuman because i am not i, I like I,
0: I don't know if i can survive that like yeah. really you know because I, I you'd be the guy reaching through the bars to Throttle the... I'd lose the, my shit. The, yeah. I'd
1: probably hang, be hanging from a tree somewhere, you know. I, I don't understand it. I When I had to work a straight job, which I did up until 2004, my band, the, fir, the first four, 10 years of our, our existence, that's just this band. We all work straight jobs, you yeah. know. But I always had the construction job, the restaurant job, where you can move in and out easily there's a lot of a lot of latitude and a lot of like uh
4: well things change and, room yeah jobs are different people that you meet in a restaurant are different so it's not like you're going to the same desk yeah. every day typing on the same computer but
1: i can come back and get
0: a restaurant job yeah yeah, can yeah. come back and, right, you and, can, and be a roofer you can go on tour and then yeah and i can and do that you know? but if you left a more structured you know yeah type you, of job you, you can't just...
1: work a corporate job and be like hey i'm going on tour for two months yeah. They're going to be like,
0: "What? <laughs> get the fuck out of here." Yeah, no, yeah. you're going on tour forever. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so, hope that works out. That's what I did, you know. I've never fully committed to like that sort of job, like yeah. a like a job that requires you to stay there, I suppose, in order uh, right, to get but, the 401k and all that other
0: But but the, you, but the job you 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 did sign up for is the job that, you know, where home is a bus yeah. sometimes, you know, for long periods of yeah. time. It's and a
1: long metal it, fart tube of one sort or the other. Yeah. You know,
0: <laughs> whether it be a train, a bus, a plane. Yeah, some boat. kind of traveling mechanism that actually takes you away from yeah. you know, some things that you care about. Yeah. You know? Lots yeah. of stuff I care about. We, um, you, you touched on something just, and it's gonna, it stuck in my head. Because we had, we had a little bit of conversation about um, environment yes. the other day. Yesterday. <laughs> um, and uh, I know that a, a percentage of the proceeds of Unbuilt um, go yeah. to Surfrider.
1: Surfrider, we've done Surfrider. We've done a couple of other different charities. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important for us to, to give back. And I, I like Surfrider a lot. Um, they have it's not just one big nebulous organization centered in California, there's mm-hmm. local chapters everywhere and they actually get out and do shit, beach cleans, education and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know? And, I think and that they could... cause a lot of ruckus in the government too.
0: They've successfully stopped things before. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and you know, he, we were talking a little bit about, and I, I don't know what we'll what we'll do, but the but just the the importance of you know said yeah, we need the eggheads, we need the fifty pound heads to be thinking about at the effect that we have on the environment, the the um, you know the, what what are going to be the unintended consequences in ten years, twenty years, a hundred years, absolutely. And uh, and I just mentioned you know that that uh, growing up, I've like. There was a picture of my dad's study. The wall of study. It's you know, Teddy Roosevelt and John Muir uh, standing there overlooking Yosemite. And that's yeah. like at the time when the sort of national park idea, you know, came into being. Yeah. And um, and it's a it, and it's it's funny being here in, in Utah because there's there are there are a number of national parks. There's a lot of protected land. Mm-hmm. Um, up until our current president there was more protected land no big bear thing you know yeah the bear's ears and 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 uh, grand staircase were the things that got chopped um and and on the flip side of that you have you know obviously there's there's local um sort of industrial and and natural resource interests natural resource harvesting interests um at at play and you know i think that you know I i have a pretty strong affinity for the notion of states rights in a way that you know local governments governing locally um and that uh but you know sometimes you um dad needs to come home with a stick and beat the states into line so that they don't fuck shit up for Mm. you know generations to come in the interest of um you know profit now, short sightedness now kind of thing. And, and uh, I don't know, um, you know, what, what the best, most effective way to help that kind of thing is, but you know, certainly um, it's, uh, I admire that you guys are, that, that, you know, for that you're putting money into the environment that actually that Mm -hmm. you, you know, the the water that you care about. Yeah. Uh, Like my exhibit, Bravo. thank you. My
1: exhibit that (laughs) I'm getting ready to have the a, like Leica Gallery in September, open September 13, is like three different thematic images. One, images of an environmentally centered protest, then polluted slash damaged slash areas where man's impact on the natural environment is highly evident. And there's images of pristine natural beauty. So you kind of have conflict, mm-hmm. cause, and then what we're actually aiming for. And I hope that those three will will balance each other but um, I have three prints from Standing Rock in North Dakota when I went there and the any profit I make from those I'm donating to a school that's being built on the res there that's not taking federally federal funding so they can't sort of, Mandate what kind of books they're giving them, you know, and they're trying to preserve the indigenous culture there, which has been stripped away, stripped away, stripped away, stripped away. And I think you're talking about what the answer is. I think people doing even small, small sort of things like that on an individual level are going to make a, a difference, maybe more so than, uh, the federal government without becoming sure. such a totalitarian situation because I, I really, this is going to sound pessimistic, but I, I don't have much faith in human nature suddenly evolving to where their individuals are going to be like, oh, I could have all this, me, oh, that's gonna fuck the environment up. Someone's gonna sell out, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? <laughs> and I think if the populace- What don't you trust about government? Yeah. <laughs> <of course? laughs> have I mean, you ever been to a post office? Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think the populace <laughs> needs to like, I think we kinda have to take responsibility for ourselves. Yeah, You know, those of us that care about these things and start making and taking concrete steps and putting our money where our mouth is. And it is frustrating, with like you're talking about states rights and individual governments and all that stuff. Uh, and yes, I think the federal government, it's it's so, such a uh, yeah. soul ripping thing to talk about the government being like, no, you cannot fuck this up, you know, because if they if they use that power for that, they can say, no, you cannot- Do this Listen either. to the dead Kennedys without going to prison or whatever, <laughs> you know, and, and it's kind of like,
0: it's super d- difficult, yeah, to navigate.
1: I, yes, it's very because hard because I
0: want the you know it. I want the power to be used for good, uh, but I know that once it's but uh, and especially but if it's power. But if it's power and it's in human it's hands, power. I mean, then that's the thing. Like and and I never, you know, I haven't seen it as up close and, and personal, but um, as many many other people have. But but just noticing how badly people given power I mean in the movie business where you know we did spend some time working and people give it you know some people who are given power in certain situations handle it really badly oh it's, it's like mind it's, boggling it's, it, to me it's more maybe the norm mm-hmm. to handle it badly than to handle it well mm-hmm. and um, so yeah I, 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 I want there to be some you know great power expressed in order to protect shit that I'm interested in but obviously that's you know in conflict with uh, what other people are interested in or or as you say then the natural extension of that is like oh if we can do this then
3: uh, the, the, then all i can imagine in my head is us making like a, the, a more you know video for government employees that ends, <laughs> with, that ends with like a theme of like now that you're employed try your best not to fuck up yeah. <laughs> and that's the best we can do <laughs> I, I mean i think that's
0: the best we can all do is try not to fuck up sure yeah or try not to be fuck try not to be fuck up yeah. i mean it's
3: been the theme of my life and so. learn when
1: <laughs> from when you do fuck up
3: right
0: yeah because it's gonna happen i think that feels like uh, a natural. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that just feels like a natural indeed natural point um thank you man good, good good time thank it's been you a pleasure for coming man. in and we should uh um go see what the light is like. Yeah, we should shoot some pictures. Got these fancy German cameras. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) One Japanese one. I just took a
4: picture of you guys with my cell phone. I was like, they're all going to make fun of me for this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you, did you, did you see me seeing you doing that and not saying anything? (laughs) You were thinking. I was, yeah, you're right. I could feel it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was about to talk about how evolved I am, but uh, (laughs) yeah, that's a phone. It's not a camera. I'm going to get you a, StarTac or whatever that thing was, <laughs> flip phone. StarT. it's in the works. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll have like a 0. 0.3 pixel camera on it, but you'll nice. still be able to take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, cool. thank you guys. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, man. Thank,
1: thank you.